Patient Safety Programme. The Patients Association says these themes have already been developed in detail in the recent public inquiry into the scandal at Mid Staffordshire. It says what's needed now is action rather than more reports. Police are appealing for witnesses to an indecent assault in Dunstable. A 29-year-old woman was grabbed by a man at the junction of Bullpond Lane and Hawthorne Close. The offender is described as black. He's 5 feet 5 inches tall with short dark hair and wore black trousers, a black top and black trainers. A new campaign's been launched to raise awareness of domestic violence in Milton Keynes. There were more than 32,000 cases in the Thames Valley area between 2011 and 2012, with 5,500 incidents reported in Milton Keynes alone. MK Act, which helps survivors of domestic abuse in the area believes the real figure could be much higher. More on this coming up next with Ian Lee. There's more evidence that the economic recovery is gathering pace, this time from Britain's leading shops, who've reported the best sales figures in the month of July for seven years. The British Retail Consortium said that sales grew by 2.2% compared with July last year. Our personal finance correspondent Simon Gompetz has the details. It wasn't just growing optimism which turned July into a bumper month in the shops, it was the sunny weather, tempting shoppers outside and prompting the inevitable rush to barbecue. So food did well, with sausages and burgers topping the list, and clothes Clothing was strong. Sandals, shorts and summer dresses flew off the shelves. There was a downside. There wasn't much interest in furniture and flooring and the growth in online shopping moderated. There were fewer people sitting inside on the computer and a lot of the business was driven by discounting. In sport, England have retained the ashes and are now focused on winning the series outright. That's according to their captain, Alistair Cook. His side drew the third test at Old Trafford yesterday, giving them an unassailable 2-0 lead with two tests remaining. The weather dry with bright or sunny spells and a top temperature of 23 degrees Celsius. That's 73 degrees Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Morning, Catherine. Hello. Morning. Hiya. I'm firing um, blanks today. Right. I'm just firing blanks. I'm feeling a little bit... Ooh, can you give me anything to... Mm, you know, give me a bit of... Uh, what? A pep talk? Uh, yeah, a pep... Ah, yes. That's, ah, that's exactly what we need. Pep talk. Go okay, on. pep talk. What, what day is it? Tuesday. It's uh, Tuesday the 6th of August. I need a pep talk. Okay, listen up, champ. It's day two of this week. You're tall and you've got a brain and you've been doing this for a long time. Go, Garum. She said good thing makes sense, yeah? Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, pepped up to the max. On today's programme, have you ever been the victim of domestic violence? We hear one woman's horrific story as MPs in Milton Keynes call for tougher action against people who abuse their partners. Would you know what to do in an emergency? Hear from a Hertfordshire woman who saved her partner's life... Plus, if your dog attacks somebody, do you deserve to go to prison? Owners of dangerous dogs in England and Wales could see life in prison if their pet attacks a member of the public under new laws. Well, it seems obvious to me. If your pet, your dog or whatever attacks someone, of course you should go to prison for a very, very long time, as though you had committed the attack yourself. The dog is an extension of you. That's why thick, ugly people get thick, ugly dogs. And nice, sensitive people get nice, sensitive dogs or cats. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Send me a text, 81333. Start your text 3CR or give me a call, 08459 455 555. I say give me a call. Some dog owners may struggle with that. So let me give you the number again. 
08459 455 555 Across beds, hearts and bucks This is BBC Three Counties Radio 08459 455 555. Now, there were more than 32,000 cases of domestic violence across uh, Thames Valley in 2011 to 2012, including 5,500 in Milton Keynes alone. But MK Act, which helps victims of domestic abuse, believes the real figure is much higher and has launched a new campaign to raise awareness. While well, we sent our reporter Craig Lewis to speak to one victim of domestic violence. It became very difficult to be able to have a say within the household from being chief parent of the house and the one in control to then have to argue the point on a daily with another adult in the house that was more formidable having to take into account the backlash that would carry over onto the children he became very dominant verbally mentally um, socially controlling everything that we did he had a very big say in who came in and out of the property but then a dramatic turn of events came about when my partner lost a very close family member and that had a decided effect on his mental stability that's when the violence took a, a huge turn for the worse my kids witnessed the violence. I had no defence against it. I found myself quickly, very quickly, in a very um, dangerous position and unable to approach anybody. It made me feel quite stigmatised around the neighbourhood in which I lived. There were also visual markers if I was outside that you couldn't fail to notice that I was in a bad way. The events left me very underweight, facing a very deadly situation with... um, my health. Um, did there did you fear for your life at that point? Yes, I did. At that point, I very much did. Um, in fact, I was told by my partner that this was the end. If I was to defend my children, I was going to be face-to-face with my partner. And it was going to be disagreeable because he was very destructive, very um, manipulative, very intent on the outcome he wanted from it. He would not be shy about the violence it didn't matter if anybody was there but he he absolutely broke down my communication networks so that I had nobody I still have no idea why nobody approached anybody on my behalf to intervene but I suppose that would just be the fear of being involved in anybody else's business it doesn't take two minutes to make a phone call If you feel that you're concerned about a family, a person, a child, that's all it needs is just to pass on to say, I don't think everything's okay. When something comes into your world that rocks it that much, it makes you very dizzy. It makes you very confused as to where to go and the follow-up care isn't in place yet where it's safe to just walk into a room and say, help why didn't you just leave this man? Why didn't you just go and report him to the police? There were several incidences in the time that I was with him. I'd needed police support. They came out. I was unable to follow through with any um, convictions, complaints, because the structured network that's there would have meant that actually he was only in custody for as long as it takes to interview him, and then he would have been released back to myself. 
and the children. And that would be like standing on a lion's paw and then closing the door and keeping him in the cage with you. Well, that was uh, Craig Lewis, our reporter, speaking to a victim of domestic violence. Later on, I'll be chatting to Andy Forbes, a church pastor who specialises in uh, counselling victims of sexual abuse. Here's a song you don't hear often enough, unless you listen to this show quite regularly. Then you probably hear it a little bit too much, but we love it. We can dance if we want to. We can leave your friends behind. Because your friends don't dance, and if they don't dance, well, they're no friends of mine. I say, we can go where we want to, a place where they will never find. And we can act like we come from out of this world, leave the real one far behind. And we can dance. about let me google oh it's about dancing that's good 
Stop dancing, but like in the olden days. Morning, this is Inley, BBC uh, Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you uh, want to give us a call. Uh, I took my boys out yesterday. I had the boys yesterday. Three and a half and uh, 19 months. And um, we were going to go to uh, Windsor Castle, but there's a massive queue at Windsor Castle. So instead, what we did was we got on a train. Just we got on, the, just got on a train for a very short train ride. And we went to a train station, looked at some trains, and then got on the train back, which is very, very nice. And then we went on a boat trip on the Thames, which was very, very nice. And we had a lovely time. They say very nice. They were being little so-and-sos on this boat. Stop! Will you stop? Will you stop crawling under people's seats? It's not me, Dad. It's him. I will throw you in that river, is what I thought in my head. Anyway, we got home, and I said to my eldest, so did you enjoy it? Oh, yeah, I loved it, Dad. It was great. Really loved it. Really, really loved it. Great, that's great. What was your, your favourite thing? Oh, the train. Oh, I love the train. Oh, Why did you like the train so much? I really liked the way the um, toilet door opened. Okay. And I liked, and I liked the, um, the toilets on the boat, Dada. We spent most of the time with him doing wheeze and trying to do poos. The thing about my eldest, when he does a poo, I'm sorry about this, we've started, let's continue, is he likes to take off all of his clothes. All of his clothes, so does Kelly Betts, happy birthday. All of his clothes, his shoes, his socks, everything. And on a train toilet, I said, there is no way you are taking off all of your clothes for this. That you are, I'm staying in this cubicle, you are keeping your clothes on. Very uncomfortable. It's good to know that he liked the way the train toilet doors open. That's something, isn't it? Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. If you're driving into London this morning, the A41 through Edgware westbound, there's a lane closed, a burst water main. They're doing emergency repairs. It's at the junction with Edgware Bree Lane. Things looking fine on the motorways, the M25 clockwise. And there was a lane closed on the exit slip to the northbound M1. That's now reopened. A broken-down vehicle that was causing a blockage there in the early hours has been removed. And if you're heading into London on the tube, severe delays for the northern line southbound, High Barnet to Camden Town and Mill Hill East to Camden Town because of emergency engineering work at East Finchley earlier this morning. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much. Coming up to 6.16, it's Tuesday the 6th of August. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Owners of dangerous dogs could see the maximum sentence for allowing their pets to attack members of the public increase from two years to life imprisonment. The government is preparing to publish a review of NHS patient safety in England carried out by President Obama's former health advisor. In sport, a member of my production team, Kelly Betts, is celebrating her 19th birthday today. Coming up, we'll be talking about dogs and dog owners. If your dog attacks somebody, is it your fault? I suggest it is. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. The 
Roberto Peroni, debating the local issues. Bill Rowe is uh, a guardian angel. He needs volunteers for his Luton chapter. This is not being a policeman. You can't do a policeman's job. It is giving safe passage to more vulnerable people. Roberto Peroni. A red kite has been rescued from a tree in Hertfordshire. There was a lost parrot in the three counties and I was ready to mobilise our best people. Forget snakes on a plane. This is snakes in Hertfordshire. Potentially 27 of them. Roberto Peroni. And I love the animal stories. I do the animal stories. Weekdays from three. Uh. BBC Three Counties Radio. Come fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away Come fly with me, let's float down to Peru In Lama Land, there's a one-man band And he'll toot his flute for you Come fly with me, let's take off in the blue Once I get you up there Where the air is rarefied We'll just lie starry-eyed Once I get you up there I'll be holding you so near You may hear angels cheer Cause we're together Weather-wise, it's such a lovely day Just say the words and we'll beat the birds Down to Acapulco Bay It's perfect for a flying honeymoon They say, come fly with me Let's fly, let's fly away Once I get you up there Where the air is rarefied We'll just glide starry-eyed Once I get you up there I'll be holding you so near You may hear angels cheer Cause we're together Weather-wise, it's such a lovely day You just say the words And we'll beat the birds Down to Acapulco Bay It's perfect for a flying honeymoon They say, come fly with me Let's fly, let's fly Pack up, let's fly away Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, a former advisor to President Obama will publish his review into NHS safety later on today. 
Don Berwick was appointed by David Cameron following the scandal at Mid-Staffordshire Hospital and has headed a three-month review looking into more transparency in the NHS. A Buckinghamshire mother whose daughter died two years ago in hospital is also calling for greater openness in the system. Well, Kirsten McIntosh is now involved with the charity Mother's Instinct and joins me now. Kirsten, just give us a little bit of background into your story. Why is this so important to you? Uh, it's very important to me because this is the only way that I can now uh, mother my daughter Mia. Uh, Mia died um, in hospital and we were just concerned at the time that there were changes being made but there weren't going to be the changes, the right ones, nothing fundamentally or physically was really changing and we just didn't want any other parents to go through what we'd been through with Mia. What do you think uh, were the problems in the hospital service that, that failed Mia? One of the things that we um, were concerned about was looking at their serious incident and root cause investigation. And when we spoke with the hospital, you and I spoke, I think, last year in October after her inquest, yep. the hospital did engage with us quite significantly around these issues that we were, we were concerned about. And they, when they looked at their processes in their serious incidents, they have now done a complete review over their risk processes, their incident reporting, and looking at being open. And they also realised that um, by engaging with families, they could actually learn from our experiences. So um, all of these things put together um, have helped change things. And is it openness and transparency, Kirsten, with staff and with, with patients and family members that you think is a key thing? Oh, absolutely. How can you have any sort of public trust or patient confidence if you don't have openness and transparency? Particularly in a situation where you are a bereaved parent and you need to understand exactly what happened with a child before you can process really what happened. And if information is withheld either knowingly or unknowingly, it really doesn't help your healing at all. And often parents do have an understanding of what went wrong long before any investigations and if our concerns are acknowledged and investigated and responded to and we're given the truth a huge amount of stress and additional stress mm. and upset and which follow the worst incident you know the worst experience if you like can really be in your life it can really be avoided so this is sort of the least that we're asking the nhs to do for those unfortunate enough to lose a child or a family member it, it must be incredibly uh, frustrating. You're confronted with the, the huge, you know, tear in your life of using, uh, losing a, a, a child. And then you're confronted with people covering things up, n deliberately or otherwise, not telling the truth, n not being open about what happened. How, how does that affect your grieving? It, it prolongs and exacerbates it in a really terrible way. And this is what Fortunately, we were able to communicate with Milton Keynes Hospital. And I think originally they saw us as when we, we and two other families approached and they, they saw, they were trying to figure out what they could do for us because they couldn't obviously make the pain go away. Mm -hmm. But then they saw that we were wanting to engage with the hospital because they realised that we had misfeedback and mislearning from our, our experiences. And by engaging with us, they have helped us to a certain extent, to, to heal and to provide some sort of legacy for Mia, for Harry Mould and for Calvin Orcock, our three children. 
I'm just trying to think. I mean, I was just saying a few minutes ago, I spent yesterday with my, my three and a half and my 18-month-old taking him out on trains and boats, and I'm... I, how do you cope, Kirsten, with, with... I know it was two years ago you lost me, but how do you cope with, with that hole in your life? It's... I don't think it's a matter of coping. It's a, a situation that you, you... It's a new normal is what a lot of bereaved parents talk about. You just have to change... Your life, whole life changes. Mm. And so when we were... You know, when one of the things in our changes, you know, you can't mother this child any more in a traditional way. So this is one of the things we said to the hospital, and they, they listened to us and said, they said, this is our legacy for our children. This is the only way we can mother our, child, our, our children in this way, by helping... This is their legacy, by helping other parents not go through what we went through. And, and the hospital, to their credit, did listen. Kirsten, thanks very much for joining us this morning. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank, Thank you very much. Kirsten McIntosh from Buckinghamshire. Um, her one-year-old daughter, Mia, died at MK Hospital two years ago. Well, we're joined on the line now by Joe Harrison, who is Chief Executive at Milton Keynes Hospital NHS Foundation Trust. Uh, morning, Joe. Can you explain what you've been doing at the hospital to try and keep the number of serious incidents down? Good morning, Ian. The first thing to say is that we want to make sure all of our staff report incidents when they happen. So we have to make sure that every member of staff feels that they can highlight an incident, they can talk to their manager, they can talk to other people if something goes wrong. That openness, that transparency has to be there for every single member of staff. When we then find out that something's gone wrong, because things do unfortunately go wrong, we need to be very, very clear that any investigation that we carry out takes place in a way that we share all of the all of the facts all of the details with the family if they want it so that they can ask us questions they can challenge what we've done and also so that we can learn from where we do get things wrong and that's the way that i think our organization our hospital has changed over the last couple of years how do you make your staff how do you ensure your staff are more open and transparent one of, the, one of the key areas is to make sure that we not only have the systems in place, but we actively encourage individuals to come forward. When things go wrong, we need people to be able to say, look, I made a mistake or this went wrong, and we need to be able to learn from it. And if you, if you can engender that, that feeling in individuals that we are here to get things right, to do the right thing, then people feel far more able to come forward 93 serious incidents at the hospital in 2012 that, that, that does sound like a, a significant figure it does it is a significant figure i should say that not all serious incidents end or result in harm for patients so what we are doing now is making sure that if there's even any any chance of harm we report it as a serious incident because that way we can carry out the full investigation we can take the family through the details and the facts of what happened and we can we can investigate properly if it's if there isn't harm we can still learn if there is harm we can do things within the hospital to make sure it doesn't happen again and uh speaking specifically about milton Keynes hospital do you, do you think uh, that, that more needs to be done to make the uh, whole nhs more transparent and open i know that we were one of the first 
trusts in the country to share root cause analysis, what Kirsten was talking about, the very, very detailed facts about what happens in any incident. We were one of the first trusts in the country to share that detail with families. Um, I, would, I would hope that other organisations do that as well now. I would hope that every organisation is looking to be as transparent and open as we're trying to be at Milton Keynes. Again, I, I think we all have room for improvement, um, but I do think that we are getting there. Joe, thank you very much indeed. Joe Harrison, uh, Chief Executive of Milton Keynes Hospital NHS Foundation Trust. If you want to give me a call, 08459 455 555. We'll be talking about dogs again. It pops up every now and then, doesn't it? The story of um, of dogs and dog owners. I, I suggest... Are we, are we allowed to take dogs' teeth out and replace them with rubber jaws? Is that has that been passed or did I just dream that? Uh, killer dog owners face life in prison. Well, if you're a dog owner and your dog bites somebody, it is your responsibility and your fault, isn't it? Isn't it? Of course it is. Can disagree with that. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Let's get the travel news now. Here's Adam. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still problems if you're driving into London this morning on the A41 westbound round Edgware because there's a lane closed as a result of a burst water main. They're doing emergency repairs and it's at Edgware-Bury Lane. Things on the major routes through the th- three counties are looking totally clear. No delays right now on the motorways, the M1, the A1M, the M40 and even the M25 running well on the cameras. If you're travelling by train though, Chiltern have delays of up to 20 minutes between Aylesbury and Marylebone after a train broke down at Prince's Risborough earlier today. The line is open but residual delays remain. And the Northern Line Tube now runs with minor delays between High Barnet and Camden Town and Mill Hill East and Camden Town after emergency engineering works at East Finchley earlier today. There is a good service on the rest of the line and no other problems reported on the tubes. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. 6.13 News and Sport now. Here's Catherine. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. The headlines. Owners of dangerous dogs could see the maximum sentence for allowing their pet to attack members of the public increase from two years to life imprisonment. The government's preparing to publish a review of NHS patient safety in England, carried out by President Obama's former health advisor. And a new campaign's been launched to raise awareness of domestic violence in Milton Keynes. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. England have retained the Ashes and are now focused on winning the series outright, according to their captain, Alistair Cook. His side drew the third test at Old Trafford yesterday, giving them an unassailable 2-0 lead with two tests remaining. You know, the first objective was to retain the Ashes and now, you know, we want to go and win them. I think it's showing this test match um, how competitive Australia are and, uh, you know, we played very well at Lords. And, you know, they played very well here, but we showed a lot of fighting character to get through through this game. Uh, and we need to up our levels a little bit at them. A pitch invasion marred the end of Preston's 1-0 Capital Cup win over Blackpool at Deepdale last night. The League One side scored late to beat the championship side, prompting supporters to run onto the pitch. During the incident, one steward was injured by a police horse and taken to hospital. Blackpool manager Paul Inns was frustrated. What's it going to take for someone to be stabbed before we actually wake up and smell the coffee? Especially a game like this. You know, it's a big derby, massive derby, high-intensity game. You can't just let 200 Preston fans run on the pitch when our players are on the pitch. And that's something we need to look at. But we don't. We'll have to wait for something to happen, really happen for us to say, yep, yeah, let's do something about it. And there's been enough incidents in the last two or three years where we should be seriously getting the rest of the game and doing something about it. 
Loic Remy says it'll be a huge honour to play for Newcastle United following his move on a season-long loan from QPR. Newcastle! Newcastle. The former Marseille striker passed a medical on Monday evening. Meanwhile, the Fuller manager, Martin Yoll, has confirmed he's close to signing Queen's Park Rangers forward Adel Tarapt on a season-long loan. Oh, stop it. Sorry. The Morocco International will have a medical this morning. And Ian Lee has uh, all the latest on that coming up right now. Ian. Why did they um, say, oh, yeah, we, we really we were fighting, we were battling. With, you didn't. You just played some cricket. Well, I mean, you do sweat. Yeah, but it's not... You don't even sweat that much, to be honest. You just stand there, you hit a ball, then you go and have a sandwich. And it hurts when you catch. Doesn't it? It's those, those hard leather balls. Hard. Have you ever tried to grab a hard ball? I have, yeah. Those When those hard balls just land in your hand... Sometimes, I once You have to got, do soft hands. I can't do soft hands. I once got slapped in the face with a hard ball. Did you? I did! <laughs> On purpose, or...? Well, I, I saw this hard ball coming, and I, I went for it, and it slapped me in the face, virtually knocked my teeth out. Good grief. Unbelievable. I got one in the back of the head once. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, this is uh, Ian Lee, BBC Three... I just need to... Hang on a second, I've got some wires on my head. I'm not quite sure how they... Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, 08459 455 555. There are high jinks afoot. It's Kelly Betts' birthday, and there are high jinks afoot. And I just think that a breakfast show is not the right forum for laughter or entertainment at all. Okay, guys? No fun shall be had between now and nine o'clock. I'm banning fun. Coming up in a bit, speaking of banning fun, we'll be uh, speaking to our correspondent, JD Chat, about dogs. Dogs, I say. 08459 455 555. If your dog bites someone, you could go to prison for life. Well, it makes sense to me. You're responsible for that dog. It's your fault. It attacked. Talk to you about it after this. You hold your truth so purely. Swerve not through the minds of men. The sly is dead. This cup of yours tastes holy But a brush with the devil can clear your mind And strengthen your spine but fingers tap into what you were once And I'm worried that I blew my only chance Steal a kiss and you'll break apart Pick up your clothes and curl your toes Learn your lesson, lead me home Spare my sins for the art I was too slow to depart I'm a cat, but I'm not a fraud I'd set out to serve the Lord
And I'm worried that I blew my only shot Fingers tapping to what you were once And I'm worried that I blew my only shot And sons, isn't it? <clears throat> Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. If your dog attacks somebody, do you deserve to go to prison? If your dog attacks somebody, is it your fault? Well, owners of dangerous dogs could see life imprisonment if their pet do- uh, pet attacks a member of the public. It's being increased from two years to life imprisonment. At least that's the proposal being put forward. The government believes harsher penalties are needed for irresponsible owners, those who fail to prevent attacks on guide dogs. Last month, parents of children killed by dogs handed in a petition to Downing Street calling for action. Jeremy Brown is the Home Office Minister and this is his voice. A number of people have said to us, and we are sympathetic to this argument, that the maximum two-year sentence, which has existed for, for many, many years before we extended this legislation, the maximum two-year sentence for having a dangerous dog that attacks somebody and even potentially kills that person is inadequate and should be longer. Well, since 2005, 16 people have been killed by dogs in the UK. They include 14-year-old Jade Anderson, who was fatally attacked by a pack of four dogs while she was at a friend's house earlier this year. No one has been charged over her death because, under current laws, owners can only be prosecuted if their dog is dangerous in a public place, not on private property. Well, speaking to the BBC in June, Jade's parents called for change. This is about saving lives and... and no one else going through what we went through. Well, trying to prevent that anyway. Yeah. Well, our reporter, Justin Dealey, is uh, out and about looking at this story for us this morning. Morning, Justin. Hello, Ian. Every time I talk about this story, w- whenever I meet dog owners, they always say the same thing to me. My dog... Not my dog. Y- yeah, my dog's absolutely lovely. He's always off the lead. He's never hurt anybody before. It's yet. the same thing every single time. He's never hurt anybody before, yep. yet... Exactly. Yet, you don't... We, 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 this pops up every now and then. We did this a few months ago. Uh, it's one of those stories that just keeps on going. It's, it's in the papers today with government proposals being unveiled that, that could see you sentenced to life in prison. Well, certainly tougher sentences if <laughs> your dog attacks somebody. Uh, tougher than the two years. And it just seems like such an obvious thing to me. Dogs are dangerous. Little tiny ratty Russell Yorkshire Terriers, whatever they are, they can kill a baby. Yeah. Big dogs can kill a grown man. They are dangerous, horrible things. You should be responsible. If your dog bites somebody, 
you are responsible. If your dog kills somebody, you should go to prison for a significant number of years. It seems obvious to me. Mm, absolutely. I think a lot of people waking up this morning will be delighted about this because two years, of course, it's always been pretty weak. It's been that way for years. I think going from one extreme to the other, though, the potential of, of having life in prison uh, for your dog attacking somebody, I'm sure a lot of people think is very, very harsh. It's early in the morning, Ian. I've been trying to find a few dog walkers this morning to get their reaction to this story. I found a couple, and here's what happens. Well, madam, you've got three dogs here today. Can you tell us more about your lovely dogs? Yeah, they're all nice, safe, happy dogs. They're um, well socialised, and they're out up the park every day with lots of other dogs. Now, you say they're safe, and of course, they may turn at some point. Nobody knows if they would. If your dog was to attack somebody else... Should you go to prison? What do you think? Depends on the situation. If I was being attacked myself by someone up the park, then I would say no. But if my dog went off and attacked somebody for no reason at all, then I said yes, the the, the, the issue must be dealt with. Now, you could face life in prison. Do you think that is ridiculous? Yes. Burglars and other people get away with all sorts of different things. And it's not. it is your responsibility, but at the end of the day there is a reason why your dog has attacked somebody. Well, sir, you're out bright and early this morning. Tell us yeah. about the, the breed of your dog here. Well, he's Dalmatian, Collie, mix. And would you say that he's a safe dog out in public? Yeah, very safe. Now, if your dog was to attack somebody else, yeah. do you think that you would deserve to go to prison? Well, <laughs> he wouldn't attack anybody anyway, you know. But if he did, would you deserve to go to prison? I suppose so. Uh, I don't know. That's uh, that'd be up to the court, really, wouldn't it? Yes, wouldn't it? But if somebody else's dog attacked you, do you think they would deserve to go to prison? Well, I don't know. If uh, I was here one morning and there was a boxer, and uh, there was a bloke cycling, and the boxer was on the loose, so the boxer attacked me. Well, I was on the ground. I tripped over the lead, and I was in the ground and. You know, I didn't make much of it, really, you know. But did the boxer uh, bite you, though? No, not at all. No, but he was fighting with the dog, you know. OK. Yeah. But you say here that, that your dog is, again, lovely and safe, wouldn't hurt anybody, and, yeah. again, I've got no reason to doubt that this morning, but for whatever reason, your dog could turn and could attack somebody, because everyone seems to think their dog's lovely, don't they? Well, he wouldn't attack anyone. He's very good when he's old. We don't... Listen, there are so so many flaws in their arguments. The First Mm. Lady... Oh, no, I should... If my dog attacks someone, I shouldn't go to prison for life because burglars get away with it. Well, burglars don't get away with it, and you can't can't compare... Just because somebody else gets a lesser sentence than you think they deserve, it doesn't mean that you should. And that fellow there... Oh, oh no, my dog would never... I nearly did the accent. I went, oh, no, my dog could never attack. We we mm. just don't know. However domesticated we make them, they are still wild animals at heart. Well, he just couldn't see it, could he? You know, time and time again we made the point to him. But but I think the really interesting point from that was the first lady saying that, that if your dogs do attack somebody, there is always a reason for that. Now, how many of your listeners will be listening to that saying, that's absolute rubbish, I did nothing wrong at all, I was sitting minding my own business or, or walking somewhere and a dog attacked me and a dog happened to to stick his teeth into me. You don't, I don't think, have to have a reason for your dog to attack no, somebody. Uh, for whatever reason, they may take a dislike to them. Of course you can't. And, and, and even if there is a reason, this 14-year-old girl, Jade Lomas-Anderson, who was killed, even whatever the reason may be, no reason justifies what happened to her. And the fact that because it happened on private property, the owners cannot be prosecuted. Mm, uh, let's, let's put it out there. Have you been attacked by a dog? 
Was there a reason for it? 08459 four double five five double five. And do you agree? If you're, if a dog uh, attacks, the owner is responsible. The owner should face a significant prison sentence. Justin, are you, are you going to talk to some more people about this this I morning? I think so, yeah. I think we'll get some more dog owners Lovely. live on the radio for after 7.30. Certainly a big talking point again today. But well, we shall see whether that attitude changes, because obviously it's, it's early in the morning. Um, it could change after 7. Are people still going to be saying, my dog is absolutely lovely and mm. is completely safe and they wouldn't hurt anybody and I know that for a fact I don't know if uh, I don't know if a lot of dog owners there are some very responsible dog owners of course there are I don't know if a lot of dog owners have the intelligence to understand just how dangerous those things on the end of that leash is well do you know what I, I spoke to somebody this morning and they said to me and here's a, another interesting point they said if I thought my dog was dangerous I would muzzle my dog well you probably haven't muzzled your dog because nothing has happened and then by the time it does happen of course it will be too late justin excellent stuff we'll speak to you a bit later on that's uh, justin dealey out and about oh eight four five nine four double five five double five right quarter to seven let's get the travel now with adam travel news for beds cards and bugs bbc three counties radio Cheers in, just having a look at the speed sensors and it's looking a wee bit slow as you drive into Harpenden this morning on the Luton Road, the A1081. The southbound side looking a little slow as you go past the station. Everything seems to be running well on the A5, maybe a wee bit busy in Dunstable. Clear on the M1 though and no problems yet on the A1M, but if you're heading further down into London on the A1, it's looking slow in the usual spot past Apex Corner toward Mill Hill Circus. Also trouble on the A41 in Edgware westbound, there's a burst water main doing a emergency repairs and they've had to close off a lane at the junction with Edgewarebury Lane. Chilton running with delays of 20 minutes on the trains between Aylesbury and Marlebon after a broken down train at Prince's Risborough. The line's open, it's just residual delays there and things should be pretty much back to normal now on the Northern Line Tube after problems with emergency engineering work at East Finchley earlier this morning. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you Adam. 6.46, Tuesday the 8th... Uh, sorry, excuse me, Tuesday the 6th of August. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Owners of dangerous dogs could see the maximum sentence for allowing their pets to attack members of the public increase from two years to life imprisonment. The government is preparing to publish a review of NHS patient safety in England carried out by President Obama's former health advisor. In sport, England have retained the ashes and are now focused on winning the series outright, according to their captain, Alistair Cook. Coming up, are you any good at first aid? Would you know what to do if something happened in front of you? I'm not sure I would. Well, should first aid training be part of the school curriculum? 08459 455 555. We'll find out after the weather with Elizabeth Rizzini. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, very good morning to you. Well, the good news is, is that I bring you much better weather news today. It is going to stay dry and there'll be um, some good spells of sunshine around as well. Meanwhile, it's a much fresher start to the day than we've been used to recently. Uh, we do have some temperatures that have dipped below double figures overnight. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, a little bit cool this morning for some of us. Lots of sunshine around this morning. It will be a cloudier afternoon, some cloud bubbling up here and there, but where we do keep the sunny spells, that should be just about everywhere. There should be some spells 
spells of sunshine later on then it will feel um, nice and pleasant actually top temperatures today up to 23 perhaps as high as 24 degrees celsius we've got 23 degrees in high wickham in luton st albans and in harlow as well so it's not looking too bad today it will stay dry just light winds so pleasant in the sunshine overnight tonight staying dry a good few clear spells around a few mist and fog patches forming into tomorrow morning temperatures drop, dro- dropping to uh, 12 or 13 degrees and then tomorrow we're likely to see a bit more in the way of cloud we could see a good old scattering of showers into the afternoon but they will tend to be on the light side and the breeze will increase as we head through the rest of the week but still lots more dry weather on offer temperatures around the low to possibly as high as the mid-20s in that's the forecast thank you very much elizabeth on BBC Two. I really need a volunteer for two minutes just to show you how quick and easy it is. When you said two minutes, how many minutes do you actually mean? Every second counts when you're pitching to the dragons. I think it's a genius idea. It's complete and utter rubbish. How much profit would that make you in a month? That will make me... have to forgive me, maths wasn't my strong point at school. You have got a moment here to convince us to hand your cash over. Could you hurry up? Leave him alone. What's the matter with you? Brand new Dragon's Den. Could you serve it now? Have some patience. Under pressure. Sunday night at 8 on BBC Two and BBC Two HD. For a very, very long time, Duncan Bannatyne was my gay choice. I know. Just let me hear some of that rock and roll music. Any old way you choose it. It's got a backbeat, you can't lose it. Any old time you use it. Gotta be rock roll music. If you want to dance.
The Red Cross have told BBC Three Counties how disappointed they are that basic first aid training has not been made part of the school curriculum. And nothing confirms this need more than what happened to Susan Reeks from Hatfield back in May. Her partner Keith Charles collapsed in front of her eyes and Susan was forced to perform CPR on him. So with the help of the 999 staff, Susan successfully saved her partner's life. Our reporter Sophie Solaria went to meet the couple and the ambulance staff who helped them at their home in Hatfield. Tuesday night I had indigestion or what I thought was indigestion when I was in sleep. I woke up, I took two two Advil, went back to bed, it's fine. On the Friday morning I went over to my unit which I got for storage and there was a guy next door. He had a massive carpet there and he said to me, you can't give me hand to move it can you? And it was heavy. And I came back well, to the unit and I thought I didn't feel right. It wasn't like chest pains or tingling at the arm, that's what I'm expecting. It's like a weird feeling, just didn't seem right. So I went over to pick him up and so we came home and he lay on the bed and about five minutes later he said to me, I don't feel right, something's not right and I said really and then that was it, bang. When you say that was it, what was it, what happened? My well, died, well, didn't I? His face yeah. just in an instant just went bright purple and then his eyes were rolling in the back of his head and then it was like like gasping for air or it's all a bit of a blur you have to forgive me because it was all a bit kind of surreal and then I straight away I phoned you when you say phoned you you nine actually nine. mean 999 yeah, sorry yeah 999 Jane Moore what were you doing at the end handler. of that line I'm a call handler for the ambulance service I gave Su- Susan all the instructions for CPR and she followed every instruction to the letter and I remember saying yeah. to you I don't think I can. And you know what it was? You said to me, you've got to. And I thought, yeah, I've got to. I've got no choice. I've got to. Yeah. And you did it. Mm, Yeah. So I did my best. (laughs) Well, you did brilliantly well because we've got Keith here and you're now sitting here. You're talking to us and you look really well. Thank you very much. I thought well. I was lucky. I had the best treatment from everybody. I had a lot of luck on my side as well. I'm going to introduce another couple of people here and this is the ambulance crew. I'm Simon Williams. I'm Sarah Wilmot. As soon as I came in, I took over from Susan, waited for backup. Keith had, well, his his breaths were probably about four a minute, perhaps not even that. We had to carry on CPR for quite a few rounds. But eventually, you were really strong, and your work before we arrived meant that we had the best possible chance. And we found out that there's every likelihood that you'd actually had a heart attack, Mm. and that's what may have caused the collapse. It's great for us Mm. to see this kind of result. Mm. There's no doubt the importance of learning how to do basic first aid training it's a wonderful thing and if you get there quick enough and act quick enough people are surviving well with us now is dan sheridan a community-based first aid trainer for the red cross in hertfordshire and bedfordshire dan how do you recognize if someone is having a heart attack dan Ian. Oh, you're there. Hello, Dan. I, I've been given false information. I'll let Kelly Betts off this this time. It's her birthday, but she will be, uh, another time she will be fired. How do you recognise, Dan, if someone is having a heart attack? The thing is, Ian, um, you know, the main common symptoms will be like someone's got a vice-like chest pain, uh, may spread into their arms, their neck, their jaw, or even their back, and sometimes their stomach. Um, and I think the, the main point to always get across is just don't ignore it, as your clip proved. Mm. You know, not to ignore it. It's quite common people go, oh, it's probably indigestion. Um, I don't want to be a fuss, um, so I'll just leave it, uh, see if it goes away, and that's, that's where the problem comes up. 
is it? It does seem odd to me that first aid isn't taught at school. When I was twenty five years ago, when I was at school, however long it was, it was you were kind of offered it if you wanted to come in on a Saturday morning yeah. and learn it. Of course, no one did. It, it, it seems strange. It's not part of the curriculum. Yeah, I mean, Red Cross. We've been trying to with our pupil citizen lifesaver campaign. We've been trying this sort of campaign to get it onto the school curriculum, um, and unfortunately, it wasn't successful this time round. And I think it's going to be something that we're going to go again with, and we're going to try and persist with this one because it does seem to be very important that if we can get that onto the curriculum, you know, that everyone's going to be leaving school and they've got a real basic idea of first aid, and then at the end of it, everyone's going to, uh, in the community, can benefit from that, uh, and you're going to have more sort of um, good outcome stories like, like that lady's. Was a reason given for why it, it couldn't go on the curriculum? Um, I, I, I couldn't give you the exact reasons why it wasn't. It just didn't make it this time round. Um, it's already on the curriculum in Wales, so you know, so that's a, it's, it's making headway in, into that sort of uh, sort of curriculum there. Um, and all we can do is persist with that. And if people want to, you know, really get involved and, and push it, uh, then they need to contact their MPs and say, look, you know, we want it included in the future. What are the basic tips, Dan? What, what, what are a couple of basic things that people can do? Well, the main thing is, is, is never to ignore anything. You know, like when it comes to chest pain, just don't ignore that. Um, the other things we look at is, you know, it's, it's, well, the things we run, we, we run a course called Everyday First Aid, and it's for everyone to get involved. Um, we run them throughout the year, and they're always available on the on the website. But, you know, the, the, the idea of these courses is, is, is so easy to learn. Say, for instance, uh, you cut yourself quite badly, and to stem bleeding, what we advocate is grab a tea towel. Grab a tea towel, hold it up in the air, sit someone down, uh, and call 999 you know that's the sort of stuff that we you know we go with because it's easy to learn it's easy to remember and you feel more confident about getting involved uh, and uh, Dan, th- th- there are some people who say, oh, "Well, listen, I'm not doing first aid because if I do first aid and it goes wrong, I'm going to get sued." Is it, have you come across that attitude? You do get that, Ian. It's quite a common sort of myth that's floated around there. And I can tell you now, in this country, um, you're pretty well protected. It's about really doing something for someone rather than not um, and just carrying on walking by. Uh, and that's what we're trying to advocate: is to just get yourself involved. It's, to be honest with you, um, it's very hard to get it wrong. Right. You know, to be fair, it's very, very hard to get it wrong. You know, what you're going to do is, is something that no one else was going to do. They were just going to carry on walking. So that's always the way to look at it, is that, you know, it's better to do something than nothing. Dan, when was the last time you had to use your first aid skills? Um, last week. Oh, what happened? Uh, last week, um, well, last week it was just uh, someone was choking in a restaurant. You know, so, you know, uh, you just don't know where it's going to be. And to be honest with you, nine times out of ten, it will be someone you know, unfortunately, yeah. because we spend a lot of time with our family. Yeah. You know? So. Dan, I appreciate your time this morning. Dan Sheridan, community-based first aid trainer for the Red Cross in Hertfordshire and Bedfordshire. You used it last week. When was the last time you used first aid? Do you know any? I know, I don't. I can do the Heimlich, although I think the Heimlich is out of fashion at the moment. I think they, they prefer to give someone a good wallop on the back. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Chilton still running with delays of up to 20 minutes between Aylesbury and Marlebone after a train broke down at Prince's Risborough earlier today. The line is open. It's just residual delays which hopefully will be shaken out of the system before too long. On the roads, the M25 anti-clockwise getting quite heavy from Junction 21 at the M1 toward 20 at Kings Langley and then from Maple Cross to the M40. 
into London and the A41 westbound in Edgware. A lane closed because of a burst water main. Emergency repairs ongoing at Edgware Bree Lane. And the A1 down toward there is looking quite slow past the A41 at Apex Corner and toward Mill Hill Circus. Adam Glynn, BBC Three County Three. If you own a dangerous dog, or any kind of dog, and it attacks someone, well, you should go to prison for a very long time. It seems obvious to me. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Seven o'clock, I'm Catherine Boyle. The headline, sentence increase for dangerous dog owners, Obama's health advisor reports on the NHS, and England retain the ashes. BBC Three Counties Radio. Owners of dangerous dogs in England and Wales could see the maximum sentence for allowing their pets to attack members of the public increase from two years to life imprisonment. Our political correspondent Louise Stewart reports. A bill is currently going through Parliament which would replace the Dangerous Dogs Act and close a legal loophole which means owners can be prosecuted only if their dog is dangerous in a public place, not on private property. The Anti-Social Behaviour, Crime and Policing Bill would also increase jail sentences for those whose dog killed someone. At present, the maximum sentence is two years. The month-long consultation will ask the public if that should be increased potentially to life. An attack on an assistance dog, such as a guide dog, could become an aggravated offence, which would incur a sentence of up to ten years. The government is preparing to publish a review of NHS patient safety in England carried out by President Obama's former health advisor. Professor Don Berwick was asked by the Prime Minister to introduce a culture of zero harm to patients following the scandal at Mid-Staffordshire. Here's our health correspondent, Adam Brimelow. Professor Berwick is an international authority on patient safety and noted supporter of the NHS. He advocates a culture where no harm should be regarded as acceptable – drawing on lessons learned from airlines and other industries. Central to this, he argues, are openness and honesty among staff and managers and a willingness to learn from mistakes. He says that's already happening in the NHS in Scotland, which has a national patient safety programme. The Patients Association says these themes have already been developed in detail in the recent public inquiry into the scandal at Mid-Staffordshire. It says what's needed now is action rather than more reports. A new campaign's been launched to raise awareness of domestic violence in Milton Keynes. There were more than 32,000 cases in the Thames Valley area between 2011 and 2012, with 5,500 incidents reported in Milton Keynes alone. MK Act, which helps survivors of domestic abuse in the area, believes the real figure is much higher. The chairman of the Charity Commission has warned that very high salaries for some charity executives could bring their organisations into disrepute. William Shawcross was commenting on figures following a sharp increase in the number of executives at charities connected to the Disasters Emergency Committee who earn more than £100,000. There's more evidence that the economic recovery is gathering pace, this time from Britain's leading shops, who reported the best July sales figures for seven years. The British Retail Consortium says sales grew by 2.2% compared with July last year. In sport, England have retained the Ashes and are now focused on winning the series outright. That's according to Captain Alistair Cook. His side drew the third test at Old Trafford yesterday, giving them an unassailable 2-0 lead with two tests remaining. The weather today, dry with bright or sunny spells and a top temperature of 23 degrees Celsius. That's 73 degrees Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Morning. 
this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It was looking like a nice morning on my way in today. Yesterday, oh, wasn't it wet? Wasn't it wet? Yes, I love that. It was out the boys, we got the, it was a shower, then by the time we got home, it was a storm. Wonderful, wonderful. Which are good to feel alive. We were indoors watching Willy Wonka, the first one, and then watching the rain. Beautiful. On today's programme, have you ever been a victim of domestic violence? A campaign in Milton Keynes is calling for tougher action against people who abuse their partners. A former advisor to President Obama from America will publish his review into NHS safety later today. And if your dog attacks somebody, do you deserve to go to prison? Well, owners of dangerous dogs in England and Wales could see life in prison if their pet attacks a member of the public under new laws. Well, I want to take your calls on that one. If your dog attacks somebody, you are ultimately responsible and you should face a tough prison term. Seems obvious. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Uh, text 81333, start your text 3CR or give me a call 08459... Four double five five double five. Across beds, hearts, and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, incredible statistic. More than 32,000 cases of domestic violence, not across the country, that's across Thames Valley in 2011 to 2012, including 5,500 in Milton Keynes alone. But MK Act, which aids victims of domestic abuse, believes the number of victims is hugely underreported. It estimates that one in four women and one in six men suffer domestic violence at some point, and that people will suffer an average of 35 attacks before they ask for help. These figures are incredible. The Let's Talk campaign in Milton Keynes has been launched to raise awareness of domestic violence and sexual harassment. I'm joined now by by Andy Forbes, who is a church pastor who specialises in counselling victims of sexual abuse. Uh, morning, Andy. What's your involvement in the Let's Talk campaign? OK, uh, first of all, I'd actually like to give credit uh, to both MPs, to Mark Lancaster and Ian Stewart, for, for launching this campaign. Mark's coming on the show a bit later on, I think. Oh, very so, yes, good. Yes, we'll pass that on. Um, because they've actually got into a talking position where they're actually listening and they've, they've gathered together uh, some church leaders, some Muslim leaders, uh, people from MK Act and all sorts of different walks of life and society uh, who deal with everything from child abuse through to mm. uh, abuse of, of, of adults, whether they be women, children, husbands, wives, etc. And as you say, the stats are incredible. Um, they're not a surprise to those who work in it. Really? And I think the other thing is, uh, I was listening uh, to your radio earlier when you say MK Act said the, the 5,500 just in Milton Keynes alone would probably be much higher. Absolutely. I would, I, would, I would imagine, from what little I have uh, read and seen about this, that the, a lot of this is based on control and fear. Domestic abuse is based on control and fear. So so if you're getting slapped about at home or threatened with whatever, um, it's going to be really hard to go and tell someone, isn't it? It is. And I think control is the biggest single thing. Um whether it's from the children's point of view or the adult's point of view uh, control comes in many forms so it can sometimes be financial it can sometimes be if people knew what we were doing they would be disappointed your husband your wife or no one would believe you uh, all these kinds of things all the threat of physical violence or somebody will be killed or somebody will have this happen to them or that happen to them 
But the, the reason for the control is it's as bad as the actual event. And that one thing I've discovered over the years is the strength of that mm. needs breaking. And unless somebody can actually talk about it, they remain under it. And I think that's the biggest single thing people don't realise is the truth is it's wrapped in a lie. It's wrapped in control because they don't want people to know what they're doing. And actually we have to begin to talk to get people out of it there's also an incredible psychology behind this because quite often the 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 person who is being abused whether it be physically or or it be mental bullying or whatever they love the person that's doing it and they they kind of they, they manage to somehow turn a blind eye to to the abuse they're receiving because they love them it's incredible isn't it it is. Uh, the old phrase, better the devil you know than the, the devil you don't know. It, it is evil. It is wicked. Um, and people don't know an alternative, mm. and they don't actually believe they can come out of it. It's not uncommon to find somebody who's had a, a drunken father, who's abusive and violent, to then go and marry somebody who's drunken, abusive and violent, because it's what they know. And they've never come out of the control, so they continue living under it. And they feel secure in that for some strange reason and actually that's where we need to help people come out of it so andy what's what's your role in in the let's talk campaign how are you contributing to this okay well we're i'm i'm part of the whole team which is quite a big team um so for instance i've i've talked about control we've talked about education we've talked about educating people in schools starting with the children so they don't grow up thinking these things are okay uh we've covered the whole range of what we can and can't do so i was a school governor of a large school for 12 years um, so we talked about teachers' ability to teach in some of these things. Or this, this happens. We did, did this. Famous, this happens to a lot of teenage couples. A, a lot of abuse going on. I thought kids these days were, were savvy and cleverer than we ever were. It's happening to teenagers as well, isn't it? Yeah, I taught my children something when they were young. They, they said, how do you know something's okay or not? And I said, well, very simply, if you throw corn seeds in a field, you get corn. If you throw wheat, you get wheat. Mm. Uh, what you sow, you reap. Um, but in the end of the day, we have the internet, we have the, <clears throat> the t- smartphones, we have the TV. What we're sowing of violence and relationships, what they should and shouldn't be, is hugely wrong, mm. I think, that's out there. What we can do about it is a journey. Um, which is why I think Let's Talk has two elements to it. One is getting people to talk about what is happening to them so they're no longer under the control. And the other one is getting us all to talk to each other. Um, So in one of our last meetings... And we were talking about educating children and what you can and can't say in a school and what teachers should and shouldn't be asked to do. Um, we, we had the, the Muslim imams in one corner of the room, uh, us sitting next to them, the, the Christians, we had an atheist guy and all the rest, and we talked about the dynamic of uh, one-string guitar, whereas often we have a one-stringed approach, whereas you need to get into the Muslim community with something that's acceptable to their belief, yep. to the atheist, to the Muslim, to whatever background people are we need to actually train up people within their cultures mm. to teach within their cultures so that we get a hold of things so yeah our role is actually the whole thing we're talking about everything across the board. holistic approach to it absolutely put your headphones on uh, please Alex. we're joined now uh, by colleen kelly who is uh, from mk act good morning colleen Good morning, Ian. Uh, these, these figures I'm finding incredible. 32,000 cases of domestic violence across Thames Valley in 2011-2012. 5,500 in Milton Keynes. 5,500 that have been reported. How much bigger do you think the problem is in Milton Keynes? 
Um, I don't think it's Milton Keynes specifically. Obviously, there's an issue for us in Milton Keynes, and that's what we're talking about today. What we know about domestic abuse is that it's dramatically underreported. So 5,500 will be the tip of the iceberg. What can be done to, to, to address this issue, do you think, Colleen? I think the Let's Talk campaign is really important in starting us, as, as I was just listening to what Andy was saying, it's, it's really important for us all to start having a conversation about this because it, it's such a, a taboo and difficult and complex issue. It's kind of, a lot of the time it's been put on the too difficult pile. So I think that it's really important that we're having a conversation, bringing things out into the light and enabling people to feel comfortable and that it's accessible acceptable to kind of talk about it and and start thinking about asking for help and kind of examining their own relationships really it sounds like a nice idea is something like let's talk though uh, uh, however noble it may be is it actually going to encourage people who are living in fear who are being controlled to take that step towards getting help do you think well, all of the research and kind of all of the information shows that actually if people feel comfortable and know that the person they're going to talk to understands, because uh, I think one of, one of people's biggest fear is that they're alone, mm. they're isolated, nobody else understands what's happening to them. And that, um, you know, that, uh, and there's, there's lots of fears around exposing themselves i think really and you know i heard andy talk about the, the the fear and the power and control that people are exposed to so i think it's really important that us as you know teachers uh, professionals police officers make it acceptable and you know provide a culture in where, in whereby people feel safe to talk to us andy in your role as a church pastor do you get people coming up to you that, you know on a sunday morning saying oh andy can i have a a word. Do you get people saying, Look, I'm in this situation, I need help? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we get it in all walks of life. I, I, I mean, this year alone, I've been called into a number of different situations. Um, and what can, what can you do? Obviously, you can give them spiritual kind of counselling. What, what practical, earthly help can you give them? Oh, OK. I mean, we would work with other um, authorities so mk act for yeah. instance we'd work with people like that it's actually not trying to do it all yourself you know because i'm a church pastor a lot of people come to me over a lot of things um, in fact you wouldn't want to know what i hear it wouldn't be oh, healthy you, you should write a book <laughs> i bet there's a book in there. i think any any pastor vicar etc could yeah. um but it's knowing where you can get that help with people and it's actually sticking with them so i've had people who come from alcoholic backgrounds fear in the house uh, i walk through the door they've literally just uh, challenged me and i'm in there to help challenged others and then gone and got a kitchen knife mm. and wow. actually just said uh, you know could you stab yourself and i'm sitting there going sorry sorry and then they've just thrust the knife through their own hand and you've it, seen that happen uh, i've seen that happen wow and the, uh, recently and the problem is when you see those kind of things that creates fear for the for the wife the children because if somebody's capable of that in an alcoholic yeah. moment um or because they were we've had people who've, who've come to me who've been picked up as children um, and by their uncle and their father, who as part of their discipline have picked them up and thrown them, hurled them against a wall and kept doing it for about two or three minutes until they learn not to cry because yeah. men don't cry. Um, when we were talking in the group recently, we talked about soldiers who were coming back who uh, were being uh, battered by their wives because they're coming back from the, the front. And who, if a, if a husband who's a soldier retaliated, 
nobody would believe no. the other way around. So they can't do it. So they end up leaving the home. They've been homeless. Uh, they've been found in woods. They've been found in all these things. That's come out in this group. So, yeah, Incredible absolutely. Stories. It's a daily event. If yeah. you get involved in people's lives, people are in everything. Colleen, we're running out of time. Uh, if people want to reach out to the Lex Talk campaign or MK Act, how, how can they get in touch? Well, there's, there's several ways. We've got uh, a helpline number, so shall I give you our number? Give us the number and we'll, we'll put it on the Facebook page as well a bit later on. That's great. So we've got a helpline, which is 0844 375 4307. So people can, can ring one of our advisors. The helpline's open 9 till 5. Um, it's it's, it's a, uh, on a weekdays, but there's lots of in- other information. There's a recorded message and, lo- message and lots of other information. Or we've got a website, and again, people can access information from our website. Yep. Do, you want, do you want me to give yes, you that Yes, please. Yep, go on. Okay, so it's, it's just www.mkact.com. Lovely. Colleen, listen, thank you very much indeed. That's Colleen Kelly from uh, MKACT. Andy Forbes, thank you very much for coming in. Good luck. Pleasure. Keep up the good work. 08459 It's 716. Let's get the travel news now. Uh, yes, let's get the travel show. <laughs> Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. So far today, it's only really looking slow on the M25. There are patches of heavy traffic, firstly from the M1 to Kings Langley Junction 21 to 20, then from Maple Cross to the M40, Junction 17 to 16. It is starting to slow a bit as you go into London on the A1 southbound through Edgware from the Apex Corner Junction down toward Mill Hill Circus. And if you're joining the A41 in Edgware, problems westbound because of a burst water main. One lane's been closed off while they do emergency repairs at Edgware Bree Lane. That went up at around 10 to 6 or maybe half 5 this morning, so they've been doing work there since just before 6 o'clock. Major routes through the three counties are looking good. No delays yet on the speed sensors along the A1M or the M1, and no trouble for the M40. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much. Tuesday the 6th of August, I'm Ian Lee, these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Owners of dangerous dogs could see the maximum sentence for allowing their pets to attack people increase from two years to life imprisonment. The government is preparing to publish a review of NHS patient safety carried out by President Obama's former health advisor. In sport, the England cricket team, Alistair Cook, says England have achieved their first objective in retaining the Ashes, but now must focus on their second goal, an outright win. Well, today is Kelly Betts' birthday. She's a member of the team here, and as a special birthday present, Kelly, got a little treat for you. I'm going to let you make me a nice cup of tea. Milk, no sugar. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday morning from nine, the JVS Show. You just can't carry on with life. I mean, it's just awful. With the biggest opinions. It's about time somebody or organisation stood up and says that it's not the coffee. Well, it depends on the individual, actually. Let's pollute the planet even more. We should pollute it so much, your Pinot Grigio goes rotten. And the biggest local talking points. What we really need to do is for everyone in, in the country to reduce their energy consumption, not increase it. The JVS Show, weekdays from nine. BBC Three Counties Radio. Did someone in that package there say, stand up and smell the coffee? Why would you stand up? I hate people who say, first of all, I hate people who say, wake up and smell the coffee. It's such a lazy phrase. But then people who say it and get it wrong, wake up, uh, stand up and smell the coffee. It reminds me once on a a talk sport, which is an an awful radio station. Uh, Someone was very, very angry and phoned up and went, this is political madness gone wrong. 
455 555 is the phone number. If you've got a dog and it bites someone, well, at the moment, the maximum you can get is two years in prison. It's not good enough. It's ridiculous. 16 people have died out of, because of out-of-control dogs since 2005. Nonsense. Terrible, terrible number. The most you can get is two years. No. It's look, uh, the government is looking uh, at increasing the prison terms. Plans, uh, it plans terms of seven years, ten, fourteen, or life will all be considered. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? If you've got a dog, a dog is a dangerous weapon. Okay. All dogs have the ability to kill. Even those little ratty ones that, that strange, lonely men have. The, the Yorkies, whatever they're called. They can kill a baby. Of course they can. Dogs are dangerous weapons. If you have one, you are responsible for it. If it attacks somebody, you should go to prison for a very, very long time. It seems obvious to me. 08459 555. Uh, Richie, you've got a, a dog, have you? What dog have you got? I've got a Japanese Akita, Ian. A what? Um, I've got a Japanese Akita. What, what the hell is that? Is that those ones that look like a wolf? Uh, yeah, I uh, suppose you could say that. They're a spitz breed. They weigh in uh, at 46 kilos plus. So that's kind of, um, that's heading on for eight stone, eight to ten stone uh, for a male Akita. Um, I'm a great believer in, in the British justice system, and I think it's about time that um, people need to take more responsibility for their pets. Now, I've owned Akitas for a long time, but I've never, ever let one off the lead. Um, and I would be the first one to turn around and say he's got a great temperament, he loves people, he loves children, he gets on great with everyone, but I'll never walk him off the lead because I know there's always an underlying risk. And because I can't guarantee that safety, um, I feel much more comfortable walking him at arm's length on a short lead. And I think the British public have, you know, you have a choice when you walk out of your house with a dog like that, mm. um, with regards to whether you put it on a lead or not. If you choose not to put your dog on a lead, then I don't think that you're showing... Um, you know, your community or your environment, um, the care and attention that you should be taking with regards to the safety and welfare of everybody that lives within it. Now, you um, sound like a sensible and intelligent dog owner, Richie. Why do, we will get so many phone calls later in the show, and Justin will no doubt speak to so many people who say, oh yeah, but my dog would never attack anybody. Why do people have that attitude? I think it's... Um, I think people are blinded by what I call um, textbook um, textbook reading, which is um, certain breeds are character uh, are put into categories of being family dogs, um, hunting dogs, gun dogs, um, and a lot of that is to probably is probably to do with um, the Kennel Society, the British Kennel Society, and Gruffs. Mm. Um, you know, and I, I I think we need to change people's perception. Um, my dog has been walked on the lead for 10 years now. Um, he's a great guy, lovable guy, um, but he's been attacked um, six times um, in that time. I've been bitten on two occasions trying to protect my dog. Um, and and, and they have been, he's been bitten by um, collies, Labradors. Um, so to your point about Yorkshire Terriers and dogs like that, and there's no guarantees with any dogs, um, I've, I've probably just supported that theory yeah. with regards to um, you wouldn't expect a Labrador or a Collie to come running across the field and uh, taking a, a bunch of fur out of your dog, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and I always say to owners, because um, Shogun, that's his name, 
has done a great job of defending himself when he has to. Um, but I've always said to owners that it's the mental scarring that you've just left your dog with um, because it's now insecure um, and it doesn't trust other dogs. So whatever social training or behavioural training it's had, it's probably just gone out the window. Did you say your dog was called Shogun? Yeah, yeah, that's his name. <laughs> After the uh, the Richard Chamberlain TV series, absolutely. Good yeah. for you. Well yeah. done. Well, well done, Richard. Uh, then well done for being a sensible dog owner. Makes sense. He knows. He, he he trusts his dog. He loves his dog. He knows what his dog's capable of. But he also knows that you can never be one hundred percent sure of what a dog is going to do. However domesticated it is, it's still at heart. A wild animal. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. You can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC three CR. Lots of comments there. Uh, Gary says, "I can't see that working." This is about uh, tougher sentences on dog owners. How can they prove you own the dog? Oh, Gary, very very easily. Do you, do you need me to go into detail? Richard says, if you can't control your dog, then you don't own one. No one forces anyone to have a pet. So if you can't handle the consequences when it goes wrong, then don't get one. Uh, Jennifer. Oh, really? Jennifer, you look so sensible in your photograph. Owners should lose their dog, not their freedom. Life in prison? Rapists don't even get that. Doesn't matter. You can't compare the two. Just because it's wrong that rapists, in your opinion, get shorter sentences, doesn't mean that dog owners whose dogs kill people, shouldn't get longer sentences. I understand you should be partly responsible, partly responsible, says Jennifer Jane, for training and maintaining your dog's behaviour, but fundamentally, they're animals. They have different instincts to us, and sometimes you just can't be responsible. You wouldn't go to prison if your child attacked someone. Well, you've kind of contradicted yourself there, Jennifer. He said the owners should be partly responsible, but fundamentally they're an- animals. They have different instincts to us, and sometimes you... So what happens, Jennifer, when a dog kills somebody? What then? We just go, ah, oh, well... Tell you what, let's kill the dog, and we'll let the owner off, shall we? Is that what you're saying? Barry says, I don't think extraction of a dog's teeth is a good idea, as it can still gum a person. That's, that's a distinct possibility. And James says, dog attacks someone equals owner gets life in prison. Stuart Hall ind- indecently insults 15 girls, gets 15 months later. Gets 15 months later, doubled to 30. Really? I wonder who's caused more scarring. Well, but James, I'm not saying that Stuart Hall shouldn't get a longer prison sentence. You, you can't compare the two. It's irrelevant. Just because, just because Stuart Hall's sentence is ridiculously short, in your opinion, doesn't mean that dog sentences should stay short. We're talking uh, about this because owners of dangerous dogs in England and Wales could see the maximum sentence for allowing their pets to attack members of public increase from two years to life imprisonment. Well, Jeremy Brown is the Home Office Minister, and this is what he had to say. A number of people have said to us, and we are sympathetic to this argument, that the maximum two-year sentence, which has existed for for many, many years before we extended this legislation, the maximum two-year sentence for having a dangerous dog that attacks somebody and even potentially kills that person is inadequate and should be longer. Well, we're joined now by our reporter, Gavin Lee. Gavin, it's quite a a leap from two years potentially to life. Why the change? 
Yeah, well, the options are being put forward, which include life. I mean, it's a two-month consultation, so that basically the government is saying the public needs to support the harsher sentence is if it's going to be a life sentence. So the penalty that people are asked to respond to is whether it should be seven years, ten years, fourteen years, or life for the death of a person, for the injury of a person, or for the death of an assistance dog, a guide dog, for which we're told now there are an average of um, ten deaths of guide dogs, uh, certainly attacks, I should say, of guide dogs a month. Um, that will be either three to ten years in prison. So it's, it is a significant. I think part part of the case for change has been a pretty successful petition from campaigners in recent months. Um, there's been 4,000 people uh, petitioning to Downing Street, including some of the families of children attacked by dogs, including the case, I think the trigger case, was Jade Anderson in March, a 14-year-old girl killed by four dogs in, near Wigan. And the police had said you know, they couldn't prosecute anyone because nobody, uh, there's no evidence a crime had been committed under the current laws. Because it was on private property, of exactly. course. Thinking, so the, the Jade story is, is, is very sad, and we've been looking at that uh, this morning. There have been several significant high-profile cases, haven't there, recently? Yeah, there have. In fact, there's been 16 deaths since 2005. And if you look at this you know, infamous act now, the Dangerous Dogs Act of 1991, you talk to many politicians in Parliament and they will you know, talk about how, as an example of, of knee-jerk uh, sort of legislation to something, you know, rushed legislation, this is probably the archetypal one. And there's been so much controversy over it. It, of course, banned four breeds of dog, including the pit bull-type dog. It, it had certain legislation which you know, many would say hasn't worked because there has been such a increase in the number of attacks. There's been an average in the last five years of about 210,000 were told by um, various unions, including one of the chief lobbyists for, for change and tougher legislation, the Communication Workers Union, who said 20,000 attacks have been on postmen and women. And uh, you know, this is perception that it's trivial, they say. It's like a, a Dennis the Menace Bingo mm. type image, but it's a lot more serious. 6,000 people have been in hospital in the last two years. So we shall see. I think the fact that Downing Street have given out details of what the maximum could be, this, this life, pen, life sentence for, for the, the owner, suggests that in two months' time at the end of this, there will be some you know, pretty news-grabbing headlines. Gavin Lee, thank you very much. Well, what do you think, listening to that? Two years isn't enough, is it? It, it? it won't be life. You won't get life imprisonment if your dog kills someone. I think it should be. I really do think it should be. How can people say it's not your responsibility? You own that dog. You have bought that potentially dangerous weapon. Of course it's your responsibility. Only an idiot would think otherwise. 08459 four double five five double five. Right, coming up to 7.30, let's get the travel news, shall we? Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Speed tensors showing no problems on the A1 or A1M through the counties so far this morning. No delays as you make your way down Bedfordshire or Hertfordshire in toward the M25. It's just slow once you start to make your way further into London, Edgware, from the Watford Bypass at Apex Corner toward Mill Hill Circus. There's also delays around Edgware, certainly the A41's got a lane closed at the minute westbound. It's a burst water main, they're doing emergency repairs, it's at the junction with Edgware-Bury Lane. M25, anti-clockwise, starting to slow up now into the roadworks. It's looking quite busy as you go from Waltham Abbey toward Enfield Junction 26 to 25, and then past Enfield and Chesant toward Potter's Bar is a wee bit slow as well. The M1 to King's Langley looking busy too, and from Maple Cross to the M40 is slowing up. 
quite considerably. Things looking good on the M1 though. The A5 in Dunstable a little bit busy between the two A505 junctions and on the trains after the problems earlier for Chilton which have since been resolved there are no problems on the railways. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you Adam. 7.30 News and Sport Now. Here's Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Owners of dangerous dogs could see the maximum sentence for allowing their pets to attack people increase from two years to life imprisonment. The government's preparing to publish a review of NHS patient safety carried out by President Obama's former health advisor, and a new campaign's been launched to raise awareness of domestic violence in Milton Keynes. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. England have retained the Ashes and are now focused on winning the series outright, according to their captain, Alistair Cook. His side drew the third test at Old Trafford yesterday, giving them an unassailable 2-0 lead with two tests remaining. Batsman Kevin Peterson scored 113 in the final test to bolster England's position, a contribution not lost on Cook. You know, I think he's now become, hasn't he become England's leading run scorer in all cricket, and I think that's a great honour to have, I think, as a player, and a great achievement. He's a mighty fine player. You know, a great player, I think. You can put put in that category now and uh, great players stand up at certain times uh, when you really need them and that innings he played was, was a great innings. A pitch invasion marked the end of Preston's 1-0 Capital Cup win over Blackpool in Deepdale last night. The League One side scored late to beat the championship side, prompting supporters to run onto the pitch. But the Blackpool manager Paul Ince was not impressed by the behaviour of rival fans. We talk about respect campaign and, you know, we've seen enough incidents in football where fans are allowed to run the pitch. We've seen the goalkeepers get hit. We've seen players get punched. You know, when, when, are, when are we going to learn? When are we going to learn? When, you know, we spend so much time worrying about referees and getting them fit and doing this. You know, when, when are we going to learn about protecting protecting players on the pitch? Because when you've got 200 Preston fans running on the pitch and my players are still on the pitch, who knows? There's no control. After standing down as Rangers chairman, Walter Smith has spoken of the highly dysfunctional environment at the club and urged supporters to back a proposed takeover in order to create stability. Meanwhile, Loic Remy says it will be a huge honour to play for Newcastle United following his move on a season-long loan from Queen's Park Rangers. The former Marseille striker passed a medical on Monday night. And that's your latest news and sports. I'll be back with more at 8 o'clock. We're challenging um, the team down here, um, Catherine Boyle. I'm being produced, in, again, in inverted commas and italics, <laughs> by... Uh, Lorna Hankin, Kelly yeah. Betts is down here. It's Kelly Betts' birthday. We're having a little bit of fun bullying her. Right. Uh, and I've been asking... Well, Lorna and Kelly, as you know, both... L- let's be honest, they're not very posh. Uh, and they've been doing their posh... Vo- yeah, I know, harsh but fair, huh? What are you talking about? <laughs> you see? <laughs> I don't and know what you're saying. You see, I've been asking them... Right, so, Kelly, just talk in your normal voice. Hiya. Right, there you go. See, common as. It's like EastEnders. And isn't it awful? <laughs> Lorna, let's talk here your normal voice. All right. There you go. Now... <laughs> Let's hear, this is fun, Catherine. Let's hear them try and do their posh voice. Starting with birthday girl, Kelly Betts. Let's hear your posh voice. Hello, Ian. <laughs> she sounds like a receptionist at a hooker's waiting room. <laughs> uh, how do you know? Posh? No, no. I don't, I don't, I don't. Lorna, let's hear. L- Lorna's is the best. This is how Lorna. Pretend you're speaking to a guest on the phone, Lorna. Hello, BBC Three Counties Radio. How may I help? <laughs> Sexual. And the thing is, the um, the northern accent is, is is quite common as well. So let's hear your posh voice, Catherine. Well, Ian Lee, I think you're a very impertinent fellow. <laughs> Are you doing a voice? <laughs> no, that's my normal voice. Call 08459 555 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
On the subject of dogs, Scott, uh, Scott, I don't think you're taking this seriously enough. No, I don't mean dogs. <laughs> I don't mean you. Oh, the look I've just got. I don't mean the ladies. I mean, we've been talking about dogs. Oh, gosh. One of those moments. Anyway, on the subject of dogs we were talking about before my excellent uh, team came on here, Scott says they should build dog prisons for dangerous dogs with dog wardens and dog courts. I don't think you're taking it quite as seriously as you should be. Coming up, we'll be taking more of your calls uh, on dogs. Uh, also talking uh, about, well, lots of things. It's a busy 30 minutes, shall we say, so let's crack on. A former advisor to President Obama, no less, will publish his review into NHS safety later on today. Don Berwick was appointed by David Cameron following the scandal at Mid-Staffordshire Hospital and has headed a three-month review looking into more transparency in the NHS. Well, Watford General have released the number of serious incidents at their hospital in the last year. It was 83. Jackie Ardley is Chief Nurse at West Hart's NHS Trust, which co- covers Watford General. Uh, Jackie, good morning. 83 serious incidents in the last year. Can you put that into context? I don't know if that's good or bad. Okay, yes, of course. Um, We encourage our staff to over-report because we can always downgrade our incidents. And in fact, of those 83, only 55 were classed as serious incidents. And of that, 33 caused no harm. What we want to do is the more we we encourage staff to over-report, we can drill, drill down and actually understand one incident, though, is one too many. And you say that that means that 22 of those incidents w- w- were very serious. One of them, I, I believe, including the death of a baby that could have been prevented. Yes, and, what, yes, and um, obviously we share with our patients and their family and relatives the report. I think what's important is, and I know other colleagues have spoken this morning, is how do we actually learn? How do we take that incident and ensure it doesn't happen again how do we look at training how do we look at that for the individual our staff and the team as a whole Uh, well how do we learn from an incident like that what lessons can be learned from that I think what we do is we um, do what's called a root cause analysis. We do a drill down. We actually look at every part of the patient's journey and the family's journey that, and actually say, what do we need to do different? Do we need to change our policy? Do we need to change a procedure? And actually drill down right to the, 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 the single most point so that actually for the pathway for the care of somebody, we can deliver it in the way that we want for the next person. Well, again, you're using lots of terms there. Okay, uh, sorry to pressure sorry. on this. No, just for the terms that some of my listeners perhaps won't understand. I know I'm struggling with. When a baby does die unnecessarily, what actual lessons do you learn? We would review an individual case. We would um, actually see what went wrong. What mistakes did we make? And then we would ensure that we don't make those mistakes again. Uh, it's worth noting that uh, many hospitals and beds, hearts and bucks haven't been as open as you. Do you think that they will be made to follow suit? Not, I think as, as a trust board, we're absolutely clear that we want to be open and transparent. Um, we want to ensure not only that we report, that we show that we've learned from our mistakes. And by doing that, we want to encourage our staff. I think a challenge for us is the way the media report these. What I don't want to happen, and I'm sure you wouldn't, is that being open stops our staff feeling they can report. A hidden mistake, a hidden incident, would really not be good for our patients 
or our hospital. Well, uh, you you can uh, accuse the the media of of, of oh, webbing things up, but it's but no, but it's but it, it it's the culture within a lot of hospitals, as we've seen, uh, that is is preventing people from from speaking out. If, if if someone dies unnecessarily, people will try and cover their backs, won't they? No, I think the um, people. Um, well, don't. North Staffordshire d- d- proves that people do. You've just. Um I understand what you're saying. I'm saying in our organisation, we encourage our staff to report, to learn, to actually retrain if necessary, to actually improve the patient care. What do you make of uh, Don Berwick's appointment? Okay, um, uh, I absolutely, um, I've been a follower of Don Berwick for many years. I've taken many of the um, uh, uh, many of his learning points forward in terms of zero tolerance. I think there's a challenge for us, this never-ending quest to deliver no harm to our patients. We're very, very privileged when you work on the front line in the NHS. And I think we can only learn. And I think, um, listening or hearing what other people have said this morning, I think as an organisation we are taking the lessons from Francis we're changing the way we're doing things I think we also need to take on board what he says today and to see how we can implement those things Jackie Ardy, thank you very much Chief Nurse at West Hearts NHS Trust covers Watford General I I didn't really hear what was being what was being done differently I know they're being more open and uh, they don't necessarily need to but they are but was it just me? Was was I confusing the issue? there I, the, 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 all i heard was um th- yes we're, we're doing things differently we're going to need to drill down and uh, focus on learn from our mistakes well how are you learning from your mistakes well we'll be drilling down and I, was that just me am i being too harsh oh wait four five nine four double five five double five joined now by Catherine murphy who is the chief executive of the patients association uh, and uh, is on the line Catherine, it, do, do we need to have a culture of transparency in the nhs do you think Absolutely. The the NHS needs to be much more open and honest with patients and the public at large. The NHS is accountable to the public, and I think that's very often what many people within the NHS forget. I think boards, trust boards, have a huge responsibility to make sure that every member of staff that works within the organisation is working to, you know, working, providing the highest quality, safest care to patients at at all times. And I think there needs to be a culture of openness and honesty. And then we also need to move to an aspiration of zero harm at all times. So zero harm means um, that patients uh, die, uh, not dying or, or not suffering through mistakes. Is that Absolute, correct? Absolutely. And um, patients and the public should not tolerate poor care and patient safety failures. And just because NHS service keep telling us that 90% of care is good, well, 10% of care is not good, and 10% is a huge statistical number. The, the, what the NHS should aspire to is getting it right every time for every patient. Can the NHS get it right every time, though, Catherine? I mean, doctors and nurses are human. Things happen that are unpredictable. Can they get it right every single time? Absolutely. Um, and healthcare is, is very complex and is obviously very complicated. And we have got a lot of very, very elderly people with um, numerous, multiple conditions. But zero harm is morally 
the right direction for every NHS in the country, every NHS hospital in the country to, to aspire to. And the public should not tolerate a single injury. What the NHS, and I, I know this has been repeated time and time again, but the NHS desperately needs um, a change and an attitude of culture where no harm should be regarded as acceptable. Do you think enough is being done to prevent serious incidents from happening at hospitals? I think we, we've had the biggest inquiry into the NHS um, into Mid-Staffordshire. The Robert Francis report into the care at Mid-Staffordshire raised really, really serious challenges f- uh, for the NHS. I think um, when that report was published back in February, it was a watershed moment for the NHS. And what the NHS now needs to do, and every trust board needs to do, is to get on with delivering the recommendations in the Francis report. And do you think, I mean, a, a lot of what happened in, in, in mid I said North Staffordshire earlier, of course I mean mid a lot of what happened there was covered up because, for whatever reason. Are we coming away from that culture? Are we becoming more open, do you think? We heard there about Watford General, which, which is, is, is being more open. It, it, Is that the way that we're going as an NHS? Watford General Hospital is a really good example where the the board and the staff um, and the director of nursing who you've just had on on the line is they are desperately trying to do to to do the right things they're desperately trying to be sort of more more open and honest but they they need to actually they need to start publishing meaningful information for the public at large and that's what we the patients association and we hear on our helpline time and time again where um, when somebody has raised a concern with a senior member of staff the you know the patient has been has been frightened to do so because very often they fear retribution and they feel that the, the staff won't take seriously what they have told and the public patients and the public are never told about what the learning from their concern has been so the patients association we would urge all ward managers directors of nursing and boards to get meaningful information for the public published on every ward so having the staffing levels the patient ratio published, the infection control, you know, how many infections have been on the ward, pressure ulcers, how many pressure ulcers, how many complaints the ward has had or the department has had in the last month and what the learning has been from the concerns and complaints that have been raised by patients in the public. Catherine Murphy, thank you. Chief Executive of the Patients Association, 08459 555555, quarter to eight exactly. Let's get the travel, shall we? Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. We've had reports of an accident on the A329 just across into Oxfordshire around Milton Common. Apparently it's completely blocked both ways and a resulting spill after the accident as well. Between the M40 at Junction 7, so that's Tame, and Chilton View at Little Milton. So if you're heading that way this morning, the A329 we think is shut. But any further information on that would be very much appreciated. 08459 455 555. The A1, as you come southbound to the Black Cat roundabout, starting to look slow in Roxton. Delays then all the way down the other end of the A1 as you come into London through Edgware. It's slow southbound from Apex Corner to Mill Hill Circus. Also trouble in Edgware on the A41. A burst water main went this morning, so they've closed a lane while they do emergency repairs westbound at Edgware-Bury Lane. The A10 in Enfield, that's busy from Bullsmore Lane to Southbury Road. It's also looking pretty slow past the A10 on the M25 with heavy traffic back from Waltham Abbey toward the A10 past Enfield and Chesant and then into the roadworks through toward Potter's Bar. Heavy as well as you go anti-clockwise from the M1 to Kings Langley, Watford to Chorley Wood 
and from Maple Cross to the M40. No problems on the trains or tubes, though. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. 7.46, it's Tuesday the 6th of August, just over four months till Christmas. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Owners of dangerous dogs could see the maximum sentence for allowing their pets to attack people increase from two years to life imprisonment. The government is preparing to publish a review of NHS patient safety carried out by President Obama's former health advisor. In sport, the England cricket captain Alistair Cook says, Yeah, yeah, we won a game of cricket. Well done, us. Coming up, dangerous dogs. If yours attacked someone, do you deserve to go to prison? Well, the answer, very, very simple. Yes, of course you do. It's your responsibility. Before that, though, let's get the latest weather. Here's Elizabeth Rizzini. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, good morning. Some much better weather around today than we saw yesterday. For start, it will be dry and there'll be lots of sunshine around, not only in the morning but also into the afternoon, although admittedly this afternoon we are expecting quite a lot of clouds bubble up here and there, but it should stay dry. There'll be some spells of sunshine about here and there and temperatures not doing too badly at all. 22 or 23 degrees Celsius in Luton, in Ellsbury, St Albans and uh, in Stevenage as well. So um, just creeping up towards 70 in Fahrenheit really. Um, it is a freshest feel to the day. This morning we're starting off the day around 11 or 12 degrees Celsius but there is lots of sunshine about this morning so um, so yeah we should we've lost the wet weather really that we saw yesterday some very high rainfall totals. Staying dry into this evening and overnight temperatures dropping to 12 or 13 degrees bit nondescript tonight really and then tomorrow a bit more in the way of cloud a cloudier day with some scattered showers they should be quite light through the afternoon turning a bit windier as well towards the end of the working week. Temperatures again, the low 20s, lots of dry weather on offer and even a little bit of sunshine as well. That's the forecast. Elizabeth? Yes? Thank you. You're welcome. Tony Blackburn on BBC Three Counties Radio. I'll be here all this week between 12 and 3 sitting in for Nick Coffer. There'll be the usual mix of local guests, advice and, of course, great music. Tony Blackburn. I want you to enjoy the music and have fun. That's what we're going to do between 12 and 3. Tony Blackburn on BBC Three Counties Radio. In fact, it'll be pop-a-doodle-tastic. I love it! I love it! You lot don't know how lucky you are to have... Well, you, you, you know what? He's on every station at the moment, let's be honest. That man works like he's, it's going out of fashion, but he's filling in for Nick Coffer this week. Tony Blackburn is a legend and and one of the nicest blokes you could ever meet. Simple as. And uh, it's, it's, it's an honour to have him uh, here at BBC Three Counties Radio. Now... Owners of dangerous dogs in England and Wales could see the maximum sentence for allowing their pets to attack members of the public increase from two years <clears throat> excuse me, to life imprisonment. The government believes harsher penalties are needed for irresponsible owners and those who fail to prevent attacks on guide dogs. Well, last month, parents of children killed by dogs handed in a petition to Downing Street calling for action. It's one of those things that really annoys me. It's so obvious... It's so obvious. When you take your dog out, you muzzle it. When you have guests in your house, you muzzle it. Dogs, dogs are killing machines. Even those little horrible Yorkshire Terriers can kill a baby. Oh, no, not mine. Oh, no, not mine. No, my dog would never... Do. You don't know. They are wild animals. However much you train them, however much you domesticate them, you just don't know. 
Or Justin Dealey has been out and about. Morning, Justin. Morning, boss. You all right? Yes, yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm good, thank you. Have, have you managed to find anybody uh, who will admit that their dog has bitten someone? Yes, I oh, have this morning, actually. Really? Yeah. This is a clip of Ruth. Now, she owns George, a nine-year-old Patel Terrier, a cute-looking dog. Now, A Patel Terrier? Yeah, a Patel Terrier. Maybe Not somebody else that. has got one. No, okay. very good-looking dogs. But um, this dog has bitten somebody. Now, we do get to this point eventually, but I put the point to Ruth. I asked her whether she should go to prison if her dog attacks somebody, and this is what she had to say. No. Depends on the circumstances. But if he was to be in this car park now with me, and I'm walking back to my car, yeah. and he attacks me, yeah. you're responsible for that dog, aren't you? You're right. I am, yes. So maybe you should go but to prison. if you put your hand in my car and he attacks you, then no. I mean, has he ever given you any cause for concern at any point? In what respect? Has he ever attacked somebody or been close to attacking somebody? In the car? Yeah. He's he- bitten people when they put their hand in the car. Was that because somebody was trying to break into the car? No, not at all. I was parked at a garage quite some years ago now, parked at a garage and it was a hot day. I left the windows open, a little girl put her hand in the car when I was in the shop and he bit her. He didn't attack her, he just bit her. But you think that's acceptable because I, that's your property? Um, yes. I, I felt guilty because I had the windows open and she was a little girl, but yeah. Hang on a minute, S- sorry... Did she say that she, she wasn't... Re- the little girl was responsible because she put her hand in the window? Yep. It is that kind of selfish behaviour that really annoys me. It really, Without speaking about that woman specifically, those ki- that kind of attitude, I, I think, is very selfish. Uh, Justin? Oh, Justin, have you dropped off? I thought he had. We'll go back to Justin in a second, uh, if we can. Uh, he has spoken to some other dog owners, so let's let's have a little listen to those, shall we? So you've got three dogs with you today. Yep. If your dog was to attack somebody, do you think that, that you should go to prison? It depends on the person, because it's, uh, it's not the dog, it's the owner itself. Uh, How would you class yourself as an owner, then? A uh, responsible dog owner. I know these, uh, I've got two Jet Russells and a Lurcher, I know they wouldn't touch a, a human being. Sorry to give you a grilling first thing in the morning, but how, no do, you, how do you know they wouldn't attack somebody? This is the point we're trying to get to this morning. How do you honestly know? Uh, well, you've got to know the dog. Uh, people, humans treat dogs as humans and they're not their dogs. So uh, I'm the alpha male of this pack here and they do uh, 99.9% of the time what I tell them. So you're saying they're safe. Again, yep. this morning I've got no reason to doubt you, but if they were to attack me now and put me in hospital for no reason because any dog can turn do you think then you would deserve to go to prison because ultimately you're responsible for these dogs uh, I think uh, a substantial fine and a life ban on keeping animals a prison sentence is out of the question because uh, they're chock-a-block now anyway well they're talking today about life imprisonment oh, what's your reaction to that pathetic as per usual yeah good morning madam what's your name uh, Jackie Britton Jackie you've got so many dogs here how many have you got here we've got four dogs two rescue dogs these two Two rescue dogs from Albury Dog Rescue at Clapham at Bedford. And they're all your own? They're all our own, yes. If one of them was to attack somebody and hurt them badly, you as the owner, do you think you would deserve to go to prison? Probably yes, because you don't know how much damage your dog can do. My dogs are quite small, um, but nevertheless they can still do quite a lot of harm. I'm very, very careful with them, very, very careful. But yes, I I think so. I think think with the trouble with a lot of the um, bull breeds and some of the bigger dogs, I mean, we used to have a bull terrier years ago and we had to be careful with her because they've got the power in them. They've got the power in them. Yes, I do, and I also think dogs should be licensed. 
So it's fascinating what you're saying. Most dog owners this morning are saying to me, my dog, he wouldn't hurt anybody. He's good as gold. But, but you've got a different sort of attitude, yes, haven't you? Because, because you've always got to be careful. You, there's always the unknown. I mean, we, we train our dogs. We are very careful with our dogs. We exercise our dogs. But at the end of the day, there's always that small chance that they could hurt somebody. And yes, 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 I, I think you should. I think the fine should be far more serious as well. But if your dog was to attack somebody, you'd hold your hands up and say, I'm responsible, yes. I deserve to go to prison. Yes, yes, I would, actually. Yes, I would. Back now, are you, Justin? I'm back indeed. OK, sorry about that. People have been uh, been fine. It, it does strike me in- incredible that, uh, that, that a significant percentage of dog owners think they do not have responsibility. The, oh, little girl put her hand in my car window. Well, that, that's your fault. That's your responsibility. Well, it's a difficult one to draw the line with that. I mean, obviously, we've heard two different opinions there. Somebody saying, my dogs are safe, I know they're safe. Oh, Somebody I'm the else. alpha male. Yeah. Jog on, fella. Jog on. <laughs> but uh, the other lady's saying that, that you know, I, I've got dogs here, and yes, at any point they could turn they are dangerous but but to go back to to ruth and again she admitted fair play today she admitted to us that a dog had bitten somebody she didn't have to do that but that's a difficult one for me because she wasn't taking her dog for a walk in the park and she's attacked a child that child is actually technically on her property putting her hand into her vehicle so it's a difficult one for me to, to kind of draw the line on really. if i put my hand in your vehicle would you bite me justin i wouldn't bite you but if i had a dog then again that dog may well bite you because because they're protecting that vehicle, aren't they, surely? Justin, thank you very much. Let's go to Raymond in Dunstable. Morning, Raymond. Good morning. Longer prison sentences for dog owners if their dogs attack people. Makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, it does for guide dogs, I'm afraid, being a guide dog owner. Oh, yes. And uh, a friend of mine, her dog was bitten uh, by another, attacked by a staffy, and her guide dog now has to be retrained because she's scared of going out. And that means that the owner can't go out on her own now because she's totally blind and she needs a, a dog to take her to places. And um, <coughs> so they've had to retrain. They are in the process of retraining the dog. But a lot of these guide dogs, people forget that they're our eyes. You know, we rely on them so much. And, um, yeah, for... for Dogs like that to attack humans and, and other guide dogs, yes, I think they should go well, gu- to guide dogs are so, by their very nature, they are so uh, placid oh, and God, yes. docile, and they have to oh, be. Yeah. Um, and and for, uh, for another dog to go for a guide, I think it's something like ten attacks on guide dogs a month. There are, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it just, it, it seems incredible that at the, 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 the moment, the worst that that owner is going to get is a little slap on the wrist. Yes, yeah, well they are bringing in the law, aren't they now? Uh, because that dog um, that attacked my friend's dog, uh, the, uh, attacked the guide dog, uh, that uh, dog has been put down now because it's attacked a lot of dogs in the area. Well, the, Raymond, we, we're going to move on, but the, the fact it's, it's, it's taken, it's attacking a lot of dogs for that to happen. Seems incredible. Pat's in Houghton Regis. Morning, Pat. Morning. The tougher sentences on dog owners. Well, firstly, if they're serious, this government, about doing anything, first of all, pass a law that says any dog off a lead is a minimum fine of £1,000 in a public area. doesn't matter what part of the country it's in, straight away you're going to get those owners who've got to put their dogs on the lead. So that's, that's going some way towards it. Stiffer t- sentences, yes. I mean, I, I, I've got an English Bull Terrier. I've had four of them. And the first one that I had, I always said to my wife, if it ever bared its teeth at anybody in my house, I'd have that dog put down. And it did. It did to the uh, guitar teacher that come to my house. And the dog was four years old. 
And uh, next day, straight to the vets, down it went. There's no qualms about it because it's a quite a dangerous dog to have if it turns like that. So you had it put down because it bared its teeth? Exactly, yes. It showed, it showed mm. something I've never seen in the dog before. Yeah. And that was real true aggression. Well, that seems... That, that, having it put down just for showing it, bearing its teeth, couldn't, couldn't you have muzzled it? I could have muzzled it, but to me, that dog then become unreliable. I've, I've got children, I've got grandchildren. Well, couldn't you have taken it to the RSPCA or a rescue centre or something? Having it no, put down I just for showing its natural instinct no, seems a little harsh. It wasn't a natural instinct to me. That dog just turned on the... And that, if I... If I wasn't around, and that dog's quite a strong dog, yeah. um, it'd be hard to control. OK, Pat, we, we have to end there. Seems a little bit harsh. I would have thought you could have muzzled it or taken it to a, an RSPCA centre. Anyway, got to move on. Here's the travel. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still got reports of problems on the A329 just across into Oxfordshire around Milton Common. Apparently an accident and a spillage has closed the road between the M40 at Tame and Chilton View. The A1 is looking slow, coming down to the Black Cat roundabout. Some short delays now on the A1M southbound with heavy traffic passing Junction 7 at Stevenage. And the A1 into London still looking slow around Edgware from Apex Corner to Mill Hill Circus. And problems on the A41 in Edgware. There's a lane closed westbound because of a burst water main. Emergency repairs continue past Edgware Lane. The A41 in Aylesbury is looking quite slow this morning. It's particularly busy from the SO roundabout toward Broughton Lane. As you head in toward Enfield, the A10 is looking busy from Bullsmore Lane to Southbury Road. Past Enfield on the M25, anti-clockwise looking busy into the roadworks. It's also queuing from Chorleywood to the M40, anti-clockwise junction 18 to 16. And slow clockwise going past the A1M, again by the roadworks. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. If you own a dog and it attacks someone, life imprisonment, it sounds about right to me. 08459 four double five five double five. Let's get the news and sport now with Catherine Boyle. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. It's 8 o'clock, the headlines, tougher sentences for dangerous dog owners, future of royal train in doubt, and concern grows for missing Milton Keynes girl. BBC Three Counties Radio. Dog owners who allow their pets to attack members of the public could face life in prison under government proposals to clamp down on dangerous dogs. A one-month consultation on harsher sentences is being launched. David Bowles from the RSPCA welcomed tougher sentences, but said that issuing dog control notices to owners could stop the attacks happening. What the government has proposed is only having um, a notice after the dog has committed the offence. We believe if you actually want to drive down dog bites and improve the people's control over dogs, and let's not forget it's people that are at fault here, not the dogs themselves, then we need to have some sort of preventative measure. The government is preparing to publish a review of NHS patient safety in England carried out by President Obama's former health advisor, Professor Don Berwick. Here's our health correspondent, Adam Brimelow. Professor Berwick is an international authority on patient safety and noted supporter of the NHS. He advocates a culture where no harm should be regarded as acceptable, drawing on lessons learned from airlines and other industries. Central to this, he argues, are openness and honesty among staff and managers and a willingness to learn from mistakes. He says that's already happening in the NHS in Scotland, which has a national patient safety programme. 
The Patients Association says these themes have already been developed in detail in the recent public inquiry into the scandal at Mid-Staffordshire. It says what's needed now is action rather than more reports. Union leaders are warning that the future of the Royal Train is in doubt following the announcement of more than 150 job losses at Railcare in Wolverton. The firm has been maintaining the Royal Train, but has been, which has been based at the Buckinghamshire Depot for almost a century, but called in administrators last week. The Rail Maritime and Transport Union is pushing for Railcare to be taken into public ownership. A 16-year-old girl has been reported missing in Milton Keynes. Thug Hong Aguyen, also known as Thuyang Naguyen, was last seen in Oldbrook on the 18th of July when she said she was going to Eaglestone. She's described as Vietnamese, four feet four inches tall and slim, with long black hair and a ponytail. She was last seen wearing a green top and beige skirt with white sandals. A new initiative has been launched in Milton Keynes in a bid to break the taboo surrounding domestic violence. There were more than 32,000 cases in the Thames Valley area between 2011 and 2012, with 5,500 incidents reported in Milton Keynes alone. Colleen Kelly works for MK Act, the organisation behind the new Let's Talk campaign. It's such a, a taboo and difficult and complex issue. It's kind of, a lot of the time it's been put on the two difficult so I think that it's really important that we're having a conversation, bringing things out into the light and enabling people to feel comfortable and start thinking about asking for help. The weather, dry with bright or sunny spells and a top temperature of 23 degrees Celsius, that's 73 Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. about bullying at work. I'm 40 years old, I'm being bullied by a 19-year-old. This is... Outrageous behaviour. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up on the, uh, the show today. Lots of calls coming in about dangerous dogs. All dogs are dangerous. Why can't you see that? Why don't you understand that? If you're an owner of a dog and it attacks someone, you should face a tough prison sentence. You are responsible for it, of course. 08459 four double five five double five. Other things we are discussing today include... Ever been a victim of domestic violence? Well, MPs in Milton Keynes are calling for tougher action against people who abuse their partners. Also, would you know what to do in an emergency? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give me a call 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. more than 32,000 cases of domestic violence across Thames Valley in 2011-2012, including 5,500 in Milton Keynes alone. But MK Act, which aids victims of domestic abuse, believes the number of victims is hugely underreported. The Let's Talk campaign in Milton Keynes has been launched to raise awareness of domestic violence and sexual harassment. Among those championing the campaign are Milton Keynes MPs Mark Lancaster and Ian Stewart. Well, Mr Lancaster joins me on the line now. Uh, morning, Mark. What is the idea by, behind this campaign and how did you get involved? Well, the um, Let's Talk campaign is very much a local initiative that uh, Ian Stewart and I launched on the 8th of March to coincide with the International Women's Day. We wanted to 
encourage a public discussion about the issue of domestic violence in a broader sense and to make sure that um, young people were involved because all too often in domestic violence of course people feel very reluctant to uh, report their concerns and all too often these it's very much hidden behind closed doors so we tried to bring it out in the open and to make sure that people were aware of where they can get support from mk act and we seem to be successful in that with a rise of 14% of people contacting the organisation, but also really to try and make sure that organisations were aware as to where they could signpost people when they were suffering. Five and a half thousand in Milton Keynes, 2011 to 2012. It, it, it is going to be significantly more than that, isn't it? Because of the very nature of the control and the fear that's engendered through domestic abuse. Absolutely. I think it's considerably more than that. I mean, it's very hard to put a number on it. And it's quite interesting, of course, that whilst the majority of people who suffer domestic violence are women, about 20% are men, mm. uh, and men are much, much less likely to report it from women uh, for sort of obvious reasons. It's all very well having a forum to talk about it, but is this going to produce real results, Mark? Is this going to help people and, and, and get people out of these horrific situations? Well, we do hope so. Uh, one of the, um, we are very keen that it wasn't just going to be a talking shop. So we've involved both the Equality Council, uh, MK College, and also Milton Keynes Council, who, as a result of this sort of campaign, uh, and we're getting probably 30 or 40 people turning up to each of our meetings from all sorts of different groups, are going to publish a new policy about how we can bring together um, various groups within Milton Keynes to make sure that we can bring domestic violence outside the front door, as it were. But also, of course, one of the big things that has happened recently is that there's been a change of definition of domestic violence to um, bring 16 to 19-year-olds into it as well, which, of course, is very relevant, not so much directly with domestic violence, but also bullying and, uh, and, and other aspects, which can then subsequently lead to domestic violence. Uh, the campaign ends in November, Mark. What happens then? Do we kind of look at something else, a different problem? Do we forget about it? Well, we say it ends in November. I think that's going to be the initial stage. I mean, it's really the, without saying terribly Churchillian, that will be the end of the beginning, um, where actually at that point we hope to be able to get a, um, a revised policy here in Milton Keynes to bring these organisations together. Uh, and then at that point, no, it certainly won't end per se, but we hope to have a policy in place. Uh, and then, of course, on a, on a regular basis, we're going to keep the group together to see how this policy is working. It's all very well to set up a policy, um, but if it doesn't actually work, then, of course, it needs to be revised and constantly monitored. But Ma as I say, we've had some initial success. The very fact that we brought this out in, in, in to the open in Milton Keynes and we're getting a greater sense of referrals to MK Act means that people are more prepared to talk about it than they were before. Mark, thank you very much. Keep up the good work. We know that we will follow this and, and see how it progresses. That's Mark Lancaster, MP, uh, talking about MK Act, which aids victims of domestic abuse. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, we've got uh, an anonymous text. I don't normally read anonymous ones, but I shall, uh, I shall read this one because of the subject. I suffered a form of domestic violence by my husband's younger brother whilst I was living in my in-law's house. I just had my son, who was a month and a half, and we were both subjected to a horrible form of mental abuse. My brother-in-law would constantly shout, scream, swear, and throw mine and my baby's things out of the house. He would kick at my bedroom door. His behaviour was disgusting. Uh, he would constantly hide my baby's milk and bottles and would be verbally abusive to me at all times of the day and night. My husband, who I am now divorcing, and his family sat and did nothing. My mother-in-law still claims I was wrong to leave and should have stayed like a good daughter-in-law and tolerated my brother-in-law's so-called stress. I left the day things started to get more physical. 
please mention that mental abuse is also a form of domestic violence. Well, I think that, yes, that was, was definitely mentioned uh, in the last thing. I am Muslim and want to say that there is a lot of mental abuse in various communities of Muslims in England. 81333, start your text 3CR if you want to uh, get in touch. On the subject of um, dogs... Uh, Dawn, we, uh, we we spoke to well, Justin spoke to someone earlier on whose dog uh, was in a car with the window open. A little girl put her hand in, and uh, the dog bit the hand. Surely the little girl should have known never to approach strange strange dogs. If not, who was responsible for for her? Who allows their child to roam around parked cars anyway? Nick says, if you're stupid enough to enter someone's house uninvited or put your hand through a car window, don't be surprised if a dog bites you. The animal is protecting its environment. And Steve says, dogs are social animals who need extensive space to exercise. Anyone who has a dog and is unable to offer most of their time and provide expansive space for the animal to enjoy is irresponsible, from my, from my view. We've had an email here, which I wasn't going to read out, but I am going to read out. Um, is this it's not the same? Uh, no. It might be the same one. This is from another Steve. Ian, the solution is to dangerous dogs. The solution is to lower benefits to make it impossible to own any dog larger than a chihuahua and ban all those convicted of drugs offences from any kind of dog ownership. It's always the same types who have out-of-control dogs. I've just put that out there. 08459 455 555. Been talking about the NHS today. Does it need to be more open? An advisor to President Obama has been looking at the NHS for three months and is going to publish uh, a report today. Uh, Dina's in Royston. Morning, Dina. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Dina. What would you like to say about this? I'd like to say that we are so lucky to have free NHS in this country because I come from Uganda. Oh. And I think I never went to hospital or anything like that. My mother did all the Ayurveda because we didn't trust the doctors and what the medication they gave us. And since I've been in this country, the national health has helped me to the quality of my life is so good. And I think people should appreciate that we have this beautiful service here and people are bound to make mistakes. Nobody is perfect. So if they make a mistake, then we have to tell them to say, OK, this is a mistake. Don't do it like this, but, do it like that. But Dina, there are... There I, are I just, uh, you know, discredit yes. them. And I think I feel very cross when people just... Well, but Dina, there are mistakes where people might get given the wrong medicine or, or the other thing. But then there are also mistakes, like the incident we reported uh, in, in Watford General, where... A, a baby dies that didn't need to die. Yeah, but I feel, I, be, I believe in karma, and I think that baby perhaps didn't want, God didn't want that baby to live. Well, so now. It had to happen. Now, so now. the baby died because it's going to a better place. Dina, 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 <laughs> Dina. Uh, yeah? Uh, you know, th- that isn't going to make the parents feel any better, and, and with the greatest of respect, that's nonsense. Baby oh, didn't die. I, I well, you, feel that you know, if something negative happens, then we have to turn it into a positive. What, what so positive, Dina? Does, Dina, Dina, yes? I'm I finding this incredible. What positive is there is in a baby dying unnecessarily, dying because someone made a mistake? Where's the positive in that? No, because they are going to learn from that mistake, so no, it's not going to happen again. So that. But it happened once. Some... A baby dying once unnecessarily yeah, but, because but of a mistake is is too many. I think the parents should be proud of that because the baby actually sacrificed itself to make make these things to say, okay, you make a mistake and make sure that you don't do it. So none of the babies ever going to suffer what she suffered. So sometimes somebody has to make a sacrifice so that the other people wow. don't. You just said, that, um, Dina, yeah. you just said the parents should be proud because the baby sacrificed itself. Yes. 
The baby had no choice in it, Dina. Yeah, but I think from that mistake, but whatever has happened is happened, so they cannot change it. You see, the parents can. But it sounds like you're being very died. demeaning to the to it's the parents' to, grief. But it's going to help the parents as well if they try to turn. How it is it going to help the? Pa- I'm getting. I, I'm. I'm. I, is this real? How is it going to help the parents' grief? How is it going to help the parents that their baby died? Life, something bad, really bad has happened to me. Then I see, right? Okay, this person has really got hurt, and it's, this person has lost his arm. I can't do anything about it. So I said, what positive I can get out of it? So I said, okay, he's lost his, lost his arm, but no, he never used what? to use his left hand, but he's using his left hand. So that's a positive. Okay, what's the, what's the what positive? Are you, first, first of all, you mentioned karma. Are you saying it's, it's somehow it's the parents' fault that their child died? No, no, I'm not okay. saying it's parents' what's fault. The positive, no, no. What's the positive that yeah. the parents of a child who died unnecessarily in hospital are going to get out of that horrific situation? Where's the positive for the parents? Yeah, the that's what I'm saying, that the parents can't do anything about it. They know the child is gone, it's not going to come back, so the parents have to turn it into positive to wow. say, okay, this... Some people might take that as what you're... T- some people... Is gone, I yes. know we can't do anything, but this mistake is perhaps going to help the future baby so that wow. uh, this thing doesn't happen again. There are some people, Dina, who might, um, might say that your attitude is uh, quite heartless and cold. It's not heartless. I think it, it's a really beautiful... Um, uh, perspective that's why in my life i think i have had so many beautiful perspective over overcome all the sorrow and all the negativity and i have made so many people very proud of themselves i have that um, uh, gift to say you know turn everything that i I, you know i I can't I, i can't listen to that anymore i find that absolutely incredible thought it was worth pursuing and uh to see if we could get to something thank you dina but um i'm speechless I'm actually speechless. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. If you're heading as far as Great Milton this morning, the A329 is closed after the accident earlier and an oil spill left behind. This is shut between Tame Road in Great Milton and Chiltern View in Little Milton. Recovery work continues. Sensors showing that traffic seems to be coping well around the closure. The A1 looking busy at the Black Cat roundabout. The speed sensors picking up delays back almost as far as Eaton Soken. Slow then in a little patch past Stevenage at Junction 7 of the A1M. And looking into London, the A41 through Edgware westbound. You have a lane closed because of a burst water main. This is at Edgware Bree Lane. The A41 leaving Aylesbury still looking quite slow from the SO roundabout toward Broughton Lane. And on the M25, clockwise, you have slow-moving traffic going into the roadworks past the A1M. Anti-clockwise is slow past Chesant into the works at Junction 25. And it's also busy from Chorleywood to the M40. Trains and tubes, though, are running well. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam? Yes? You all right? Yeah, I'm fine. You sound a bit down today. Oh, not again. No, is everything okay? You normally you're, you're perky, full of life. We can't, we can't shut you up. But today you're a bit. Is everything all right? You don't have to tell no, me. I, but I think I just need a cup of tea. Ah, go then. Off you go, sir. Off you go. Eight seventeen. It's Tuesday, the sixth of July. Uh, July, August. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Owners who allow their dogs to attack members of the public could face life in prison under a clampdown proposed by the government. The results of a review of NHS patient safety are set to be published later by President Obama's former health advisor, Professor Don Berwick.
In sports, uh, Sport England cricket captain Alistair Cook has urged his side to go on and win the series against Australia. Coming up, how good is your eyesight? The road safety charity Break want us to get our eyes tested every two years. Are we having a laugh? BBC Three Counties Radio. They're down on their blocks then. From this weekend on the BBC. The stage is set for a mighty battle. The world's best come together in Moscow. Away they go then. For the biggest athletics event of the year. And if you didn't think that James Dazzaolo had arrived, he certainly has now. Double goal for Shake Drayton. The performance of her life. Mo Farah seems to have kicked again. What a race. The World Championships. Saturday, live across the BBC. I'm still in shock with uh, with Dina's call there. I'm in, I'm in shock. I, I, I could have spoken to her for, for a longer or, or less. Either would have been completely justified. Anyway, let's move on, shall we? When did you last have your eyes tested? And can you see the road signs when you're driving? Well, the road safety charity Break is launching a new campaign to get drivers to get their eyesight tested every two years to ensure their vision meets legal standards and they aren't putting people in danger. They found in a survey that more than a quarter of drivers haven't had their eyes tested in the last two years. Well, Ellen Booth is from Break. Uh, uh, morning, Ellen. Eyes morning. tested every two years. That's a little bit over the top, isn't it? Not at all. I mean, actually, most optometrists would say, um, even when it's when it's when you don't um, think about driving, that you should be getting your eyes tested every two years. Well, they would do because they make money out of it. Oh well. I mean, what I would say is, um, this is the same advice that the DVLA gives. Um, you know, actually your eyesight can deteriorate quite a lot within a two-year period and you wouldn't necessarily notice it. Um, it's also the case that eye health conditions like glaucoma, etc., um, if you're going every two years, um, they can pick that up and they can prevent a lot of long-term damage um, if you're getting your eyes regularly tested. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why you should be doing. I mean, actually, let's get back to basics here. You need to be able to see properly and meet those minimum standards in order to be a safe driver it's one of the most basic things about driving if you can't see hazards up ahead if your peripheral vision isn't isn't good enough then you can't um you can't be a safe driver because you can't see um when you need to stop in an emergency you can't read signs etc um so it's one of the most basic things that you need to get and what we're really saying today is that you know you you get you give your um car a regular mot um oh let's be making sure as a driver um you're getting it's your a bit patronizing ellen we need to get our eyes tested two years of course we don't i haven't had my eyes tested for about five years and they're absolutely fine well you don't know that they're fine well i do know that they're fine because I, I do know they're fine because i can see i can see quite a good distance i can read stuff that other people can't read in the distance it's a little bit patronizing what, what, so every two years well, what you you don't know as well is about your peripheral vision, glare sensitivity. Oh. If you talk to um, an, op- um, an optician about it, they'll tell you there are um, a number of different things that you simply can't tell. Um, and actually, you can lose up to 40% of your vision and still think that your vision hasn't changed. So listening to experts... Who, who um, charge who money for this. I know you dismissed that comment with a, with a, a sigh, but they, uh, optometrists want us to go in more often because they make money out of it, of course. That's their business. They're health practitiours. Well, they're, 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 um, they're, pri- they're private GPs businesses. Would, would give you the same, 
same advice. The DVLA would give you the same advice. Academics who work in this field would give you the same advice. Um, I'm giving you the same advice, and I, I don't make money out of ITEX. No, I know you don't, but you, you, you do have an agenda. I do just think, I know we're running out of time, and I could talk to you about this all morning because it's quite good fun, but I, it, it does come across as a little bit patronising. Yes, there are people who have eye conditions, but to say we have to get our eyes tested every two years, well, do we, we could have a heart attack at the wheel. Should we get our, our hearts checked every two years? Where do we stop? It's, it's a completely different thing. You know, eyesight is a basic, fundamental... Heart beating is a basic, driving. fundamental of being able um, to drive a car. At the end of the day, you know, there are 2,900 casualties every year because of poor eyesight. Um, and that's why I'm talking about this. You know, we're a charity that supports people who are bereaved and injured. This is a really serious issue. Um, and we're trying to prevent casualties. And this is why um, we're urging everybody to get their eyes tested. Well, you need a heart to function while you're driving as well. So the two things aren't completely separate. And I'm going to end it there. I what do you think? Get your eyesight, t get your eyes tested every two years. Sounds very patronising to me. My eyes are fine. Yes, there are some people whose eyes are not fine, but to get them tested every two years? Oh, come on. For goodness sakes. What do you think? Am, am I being a bit harsh there? 08459 455 555. Um, where, where on earth are you, JVS? I'm I'm in a luxury studio. Oh, you say, you sound much better than you normally do. Whatever effect <laughs> they've got on your voice, keep it, bottle it, bring it back. Do I? Yes, booming. Oh, nice. Well, I'm happy to do my show from this studio. It's very luxurious. <laughs> Is it not? Because let's be honest, I, I do enjoy working at Three Counties Radio. <laughs> the studios are a little bit tatty, aren't they? Tatty? You could pick something up from them. <laughs> <laughs> As I frequently have. Well, that, that's your excuse, is it? I got it from the studio. I, I was sitting on a dirty chair. So you're, you're, you are coming from a luxury studio. I know because I you're doing other bits and pieces. Describe it to me, Javis. Make, me, make me envious. Well, I'm sitting at my, my desk. I'll tell you what, I'll tweet you a picture. I've got very <laughs> special buttons everywhere. It's, uh, everything's just new. It's rather nice. Mm. I've been sitting here listening to you arguing with everyone. What's going on with you today? I'm, I'm, um, I'm having a midlife crisis. <laughs> Get you up, picking a fight with everyone. Get your eyesight tested every two years. For goodness <laughs> sake, stop patronising me. <laughs> two people in a row now. I've heard you cut off and say, oh, I've had enough well, of this. <laughs> in, in all honesty, though, you would agree that they were, they were both justified, wouldn't you? Oh, yes. <laughs> when did you last have your eyes tested? Uh, about four years ago. Oh, then you, you, you're a danger on the roads, Jonathan. Well, oh. they told me I need glasses, but I hate them. Oh. I did try wearing spectacles for a while yep. with uh, on a spectacle chain round my neck. <laughs> Hello, Larry Grayson. Yes, uh, <laughs> but I didn't get on with them very well, so I don't wear them anymore. Okay. Now, what's what's happening on your show? People can still call in today, can they? Technology is good enough for that to work. Okay, of good. Course. Good. All right. The usual JVS show continues from nine this morning, and coming up on the big phone in are tougher sentences the best way to stop dog attacks? Uh, the owners of dogs that attack and kill someone could face life in prison under new proposals for England and Wales. The current maximum prison sentence for allowing a dog that kills or injures someone is two years, but under a government consultation, respondents will be asked to select the most appropriate sentence for a fatal dog attack from seven years to life. But prison sentences, of course, are punishment. Perhaps what we really need is prevention instead. What have your experience? What have your view? I want you to pick up the phone. Let me know from nine this morning. Are tougher sentences the best way to stop dog attacks? 08459 455 555. Thank you very much, Javier. Speak to you later. Ta-ra. Ta-ta. Email 3cr at bbc.co.uk BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Uh, April's in Luton. Good morning, April. Good morning. Am I going to cut you off as well? I'm, I'm, I'm getting annoyed again this morning. I'm trying no, to calm no, down. I'm getting annoyed. No, just go get your eyes tested. At your age, you need to. Oh, get knotted. Get, what do you mean at my age? Well, now that you're getting older, you We're... need to get your eyes tested on a regular basis. We're all we're all getting older. Listen, I right, okay. This is the challenge. I have better eyesight than anybody working here at BBC Three Counties Radio, than anybody listening to this radio show. Oh, I don't know about that. No, bit. I do know about that. My I have eyesight. Exceptionalitis. Uh, I've got exceptional eyesight, and my optom- my eye test person. What are they call op- I can never. Say we call them word. opticians in this country. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. He he says that I've got excellent eyesight. I challenge you to an eyesight off. My I can read the bottom line of the eye chart. So can I. Well I done. can read that sign behind Kelly Betts. What through her? Well, no, she's kind of, she's kind of tiny, so I can see it over her head. I can't see that side from here. Well, they, they, who's who's the winner now? Huh? April. Dave's in Luton. Morning, Dave. Dave. Sorry. Hello. Oh, oh you, sorry. You're apologising in advance for your uh, your your lacklustre phone call. Are you good? Well, no, that's that's what we need. You're talking now. You you rushed straight in and said, "Oh, Dave." Yes, I because April, April, April's been cut off now. It's the third person in a row I've cut off. Do you want to make it four? <laughs> Go oh, ahead, punk. That. Was you it th- was it three or was it four people I cut off? I don't remember. Go ahead, punk. Make my day. You do you do that to me? You leave me standing while I'm talking to myself. Do you know what I mean? Anyhow, we're talking about eyes. Has he gone again? Where's Justin, my mate? Oh, flipping it. Yes? This is costing the BBC money. Why? This is costing the BBC money. Why? Hold on. Why? Yo! Yo! Thanks for calling, Dave. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. If you'd left that much longer, I think you might have run the risk of the emergency tape kicking in. Dear, oh dear. At the A329 in Great Milton, it's closed. There was an accident earlier. Recovery work continues. This is between Tame Road in Great Milton and Chiltern View in Little Milton. Traffic seems to be getting round okay. Holton Village. The road through Holton Village has been closed following an accident in... This is Western Turville. A motorbike involved between Brookend at Western Turville and Chestnut Avenue in Holton. The road likely to be shut the remainder of this morning so it's closed between Brookend and Chestnut Avenue there the A41 in Aylesbury still looking slow from the SO roundabout to Broughton Lane Beaconsfield slow on the A355 this morning queues southbound from Longbottom Lane down to the A40 the A1 queues in Roxton at the Black Cat roundabout Heavy then on the A1M as you go southbound past Stevenage and then into London. The A41 Edgware Way westbound. Burst water main means a lane closed for emergency repairs at Edgware Bree Lane. M25 clockwise slow into the roadworks past the A1M. Anti-clockwise a bit slow round Chesant and also queues from Chorleywood to the M40. Trains and tubes running well. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. If you own a dog and it attacks someone, you should go to prison for more than two years. I think you should face life imprisonment. You have bought a dangerous weapon. You should be responsible for it. 
If you disagree with that, you're a fool. 08459 455 555. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Or you can text 81333. Start your text 3CR. Coming up to 8.30, let's get the latest news and sport now. Here's Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Owners who allow their dogs to attack members of the public could face life in prison under a clampdown proposed by the government. Concern is growing for the safety of 16-year-old Vietnamese girl Phu Yang Nguyen, who's been missing from Oldbrook and Milton Keynes since the 18th of July. And the results of a review of NHS patient safety is set to be published later by President Obama's former health advisor, Professor Don Berwick. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. England have retained the Ashes and are now focused on winning the series outright, according to their captain, Alistair Cook. His side drew the third test at Old Trafford yesterday, giving them an unassailable 2-0 lead with two tests remaining. You know, the first objective was to retain the Ashes and now, you know, we want to go and win them. I think it's shown this test match um, how competitive Australia are and, uh, you know, we played very well at Lords. And, you know, they played very well here, but we showed a lot of fighting character to get through through this game. Uh, and we need to up our levels a little bit at them. A pitch invasion marred the end of Preston's 1-0 Capital Cup win over Blackpool at Deepdale last night. The League One side scored late to beat the Championship side, prompting supporters to run onto the pitch. During the incident, one steward was injured by a police horse and taken to hospital. The Blackpool manager, Paul Lynch, was frustra- frustrated. What's it going to take for someone to be stabbed before we actually wake up and smell the coffee? Especially a game like this. You know, it's a big derby, massive derby, high-intensity game. You can't just let 200 Preston fans run on the pitch when our players are on the pitch. And that's something we need to look at. But we don't. We'll have to wait for something to happen, really happen for us to say, yeah, oh, let's do something about it. And there's been enough incidents in the last two or three years where we should be seriously getting there together and doing something about it. Paul Ince there. Loic Remy says it will be a huge honour to play for Newcastle United following his move on a season-long loan from Queen's Park Rangers. The former Marseille striker passed a medical on Monday night. Meanwhile, the Fulham manager Martin Yollis confirmed he's close to signing Queen's Park Rangers forward Adel Tarapt on a season-long loan. The Morocco international will have a medical this morning. And that's your latest news and sports. I'll be back with more at nine o'clock. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, speaking earlier on in the show, um, to a lady from Break, the uh, road safety charity that says we should have our eyes tested every two years, otherwise we are a danger on the road. I thought that sounded uh, a little bit patronising. What do you think? 08459 455 555. Andy's in Hemel Hempstead. Morning, Andy. Good morning. Andy, what, what do you think? Um, I think two years is a bit harsh, but I think I think we should all have eye tests throughout our driving career. Uh, because I I went home on a Friday with my with fine eyesight and went to, to work on the Monday and couldn't actually see the piece of paper on my desk uh, when I arrived. My, my, my eyesight is perfect distance, but I can't see anything under a metre now. But the thing is, is, is if you were stopped by the police or you did a driving test, that wouldn't be picked up at all. So what happened to your eyes over the weekend, Andy? But no, um, I, I, I suffer from a, a connected illness, which, which meant my, my, my eyesight deteriorated very quickly. But I, I understand that I'm not alone. So, I mean, your eyesight can deteriorate and it can deteriorate very quickly. So are you, but are you allowed to drive now? Yes, I was, I was never not allowed to drive. And do you have to wear glasses or anything? I wear glasses to, to, to basically see... I, I mean, I can't, I can't see the speedometer or the sat-nav in the car without uh, my spectacles. 
Okay, so you wear glasses while you're driving? Yeah, I mean, I can see, there's a lorry in front of me and it's, it's quite a distance away, I can read its registration plate. But this is, this is one of if you go for a driving test, I'll say, what's the registration number on that car over there? Which is great, but if you were to give me a piece of paper and say, read that, I can't read about it. But you would be responsible enough, Andy, to recognise that you're sat in your car, you can't see your sat-nav, your speedometer, or maybe I shouldn't be driving this car until I get my eyes checked out. I am, but that's suppose everybody is. Well, I think, I think, Andy, we're going to move on because we've got some guests on this. I, I think most people would be, wouldn't they? They're sat in their car, they can't see the speedometer. A few blinks, a little rub of the eye, still can't see the speedometer. I think I'll get out of the car. I think I might go to a doctor immediately. Having your eyes tested every year. Uh, Two years seems a little odd. We're talking about this because new figures out today show a quarter of drivers hadn't, hadn't, had, haven't had an eye test in the last two years. Road safety charity Break are now calling on drivers to get their sight tested every two years to make sure their vision meets legal standards and that they're not a danger to others. Neil Gregg is Director of Policy and Research at the Institute of Advanced Motorists. Neil, every two years seems, it seems a little bit patronising to me. I think it's the sort of thing you should be doing anyway for, for your general health. Um, so I think there are other issues around it. There is no actual clear link. I think you're sort of coming towards this. that There's no actual clear link between poor eyesight and large numbers of crashes. Um, so this, we, we have a slight problem with this. We don't think there's any need for compulsion in terms of eye testing because basically you'd be testing vast numbers of people, all of whom, the vast majority of whom, would have very good eyesight. So really, in terms of road safety, um, although it sounds like there's a, a problem here, it is actually a very minor problem. Uh, and also, most people, and I'm sure there are some that won't, but most people, if you get in your car and suddenly you can't see the car in front of you or suddenly you can't see your speedometer, am I right thinking that most people would go, hang on a second, maybe I should go and get something done about this? Absolutely, and I think the, the, the bigger problem is probably long-term, slow deterioration that, you co- that comes with age. It comes yep. to us all. I mean, I'm in a similar situation to the previous caller in that I can't uh, see things close up, but that's been a long-term re- deterioration, and I wear glasses for that, but I can see long, long distance. So that's the sort of thing that happens to most people. But I think there are, there are some issues around perhaps um, people with senile dementia who, who don't pick up the fact they've got bad eyesight, but then they've got, an, they've got other issues as well. So I think we, we, we quite like the idea of the police being able to take people's licence away very quickly, which is part of this, um, when they, we find someone with bad eyesight. But in actual fact, eyesight, poor eyesight, is responsible for 0.1%. Uh, it's a factor in 0.1% of crashes in the UK every year. Well, break made it sound much more dramatic than that. Have they changed the law yet? Because it, the law was, if a police officer stopped you and found out your eyesight wasn't good enough... You could get in your car and drive away. Was that is that right? Yeah, I mean, the, the problem actually was more to do with the sort of admin side of it, contacting right. DVLA, taking the license off them. That's all been it really made much quicker. They can do it almost instantly now. So, so that that is an improvement. If they do find somebody who clearly cannot see, then they can be taken off the road much much quicker. So that, that that's the sort of thing we welcome. But any idea of compulsory eye testing, I think, really would just be, as I say, testing people who, in the vast majority of cases, would have perfect vision. And it's an interesting one because if you look at the contributory factors that police allocate for crashes failed to look is the number one and has been for, for all age groups mm. for, for many many years, failed to look but that isn't about can't see, it's about looking and not actually picking yes. up what's going on around you Also if we're testing eye, if, if Breaker insisting we test eyesight then we should be testing hearing as well shouldn't we and response time because all of these things are vital and all of them are prone to, uh, to damage over time well, yes, you could look at, and, and there are all sorts of complex. We, we did a, a, 
a study last year of, of older drivers. And what, what we did find was that, yes, you know, compared to younger people, that their eyesight was slightly worse and, and their reaction times were slightly slower. But the majority of older people actually compensate for that by driving a bit slower and leaving bigger gaps. And, and they end up being a safer group on the roads. And of course, if you think about it, the, the, the worst group on our roads these days is actually young people. Mm. And the vast majority of them um, have got perfect eyesight. So it's, it's, it's more for us. It's about attitude to driving rather than, than, than eyesight as, a, as an issue. Neil, thank you very much. Neil Gregg, Director of Policy and Research at the Institute of Advanced Motorists. Well, we've been uh, sending out our road safety correspondent, Justin Dealey, this morning. Justin, you've been out You've been out testing people this morning. I have indeed. You know what, Ian? The last time I had my eyes tested, I must have been about, what, 15 years old. Yeah. So we're looking at years and years and years. Yet, Many like years. you, I was... Thank you. You're um, I, I would say my eyes are pretty good. Would you not agree? I well, I mean, judging by some of the stuff you wear, no. But <laughs> I, can oh, we get you then? Can we get this week can, for hmm. tomorrow's show? I'm speaking to my production team, although they're paying scant attention. Can we get a little eye test for me and Justin to uh, take part in tomorrow? Let's get an optician. Don't bother, mate, because I'll just thrash you. Oh, oh, listen, I have got thirty thirty vision. Have you? Yes, I have. I've got twenty twenty. What's thirty thirty? Well, it's it's ten ten better. Right. Okay. So, can we get an eye test for tomorrow's show, please? An optician, an eye test, and Dealey, I will take you down to Chinatown if you can see it. Yes, that'll be fantastic. Well, this morning I've been testing people. Now, uh, as a legal requirement, motorists, they must be able to read a number plate from a distance of 20.5 metres. That is 67 feet. So, what I've been doing, I've been testing motorists from 67 feet. The number plate on our radio car is LT05XAP. So, we start with this man who hasn't had his eyes tested like me for quite some time. Uh, I'll have a good go. Um, LT05XAP. I mean, do you think your eyes are fit for the road? Because yes, you did get the plate, but it took you a a bit of effort. It did, yeah, exactly. And when you're driving, I suppose, you know, you've got momentary, well, seconds, uh, in fact, actually, to sort of like, as you're driving along, you don't see things, you know, and you you don't get to analyse them. It's a quick split decision, yeah. When was the last time you went for, for an eye test? That's the question we're asking today. Can you remember? Uh, about a year ago. Okay, can you read that number plate for me over there? Uh, LT05XAP. Well done, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Morning, sir. Just come out of the gym. What's your name? Michael. How long have you been driving for, Michael? Uh, about four and a half years. Uh, when was the last time you had an eye test? Uh, I don't even remember. Probably about 14. When you was about 14 years yeah. old. So how many years ago is that? Uh, that's nine years ago. Nine years ago. Okay. Can you step back here for us? 67 feet away from my vehicle. Can you try and read my registration plate? Yeah, LT05XAP. You've done it, but do you think you're honestly fit for the road based on the fact you haven't had an eye test for, for so many years? Uh, I like to think so, because I obviously I play regular sport, and I, well, I, I, really, I think I've got good eyesight, yeah. So I'll say so. No reason to suggest I've got bad eyesight. Well, there's no reason to suggest. Marion says, I challenge you two to get your eyes tested. It's not patronising, it's your health and safety. I frequently see blind drivers of all ages. What a lot of exclamation marks. So, if you're in a car with your kids, and if you did something wrong because of your eyesight, you'll never forgive yourself. But I won't do anything wrong with my eyesight, Marion, because my eyesight is brilliant. Mind you, you see, we're, we're both saying our eyesight is perfect. We haven't been for a while, but what I found interesting about that report there, you've got the lady in the middle, she went, last went for an eye test, what, a year ago. She got it straight away, instantly, 
yeah. the two men either side who hadn't been for an eye test for quite some time, they were a lot slower, weren't they? So that just kind of proves the point, surely. Ian, uh, you were so rude to that lady, says Jackie. I wear glasses and have my eyes checked once a year as I have an, as I have an unusual blood vessel at the back of one eye. Well, that's why you get it tested. That's I don't have an unusual blood vessel. <laughs> eye tests can also pick up things like diabetes and high blood pressure. Billy, I get my eyes checked once every year as glaucoma runs in the family. Well, that you've got a condition that runs in the family. But how do you know you haven't got a condition? If you went for an eye <sighs> test, it might be detected. Flipping it. Silly Billy. Right, we're going to go for an eye test yep. and I will beat you. Um, no, we should go for an eye test and I shall beat you. Thank you very much indeed. It's Justin Daly. Uh, Peter's in Warmer Green. Morning, Peter. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. What's your take on this? I test every two years? Well, I, I, well, I don't think you'd be able to do everybody. Because you, if you go to an eye clinic, they're all ages. They're not just old people. They're all ages. Yes, young, young people uh, have eyes. Uh, yeah, and they've got problems as well. Yep. So uh, you can't just test one one. One part of the population, you've got to test. Everybody. Well, no, every, well, this is the, according to Break. They want every every driver to be tested every two years. Well, it seems a little patronising to it, me, Peter. It, it's it's an impossibility, isn't it? Let's face it. Can you imagine all those drivers every two years being tested? I mean, it's it's ridiculous, really. Well, you say it's ridiculous. You, it, 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 you'd be paying for it, Peter. You would, you would pay for your eye test. I would pay for my eye test. The, no wonder the opticians want this. They would make a fortune. They already do. Uh, they do, don't they? <laughs> yeah. I, I should have got into, got into the glasses business. Absolutely. Do you wear glasses? I wear glasses. I, I, I visit Moorfields once every four months. Yep. I've got a second opinion on my eyes, by the way. Yeah, oh, yes. You know the problems before, and I got a second opinion from my doctor, and I, I'm under Moorfields. My vision's pretty good. Yes. Uh, only because of glaucoma, really, yes. you know? I used to wear glasses. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I needed glasses. I look good in glasses, actually, like cute. Uh, uh, sometimes I needed glasses, and sometimes I didn't need glasses. And I don't wear glasses now. And do you know what, what, what stopped, Peter? No. I stopped drinking. As soon as I stopped drinking <laughs> and got sober, it's like, oh, I got a second, I can see! Well, I can uh, read! Well, you, you've avoided the double vision, haven't you? I avoided the double vision. Peter, thank you very much indeed. It is a... Uh, uh, Peter, indeed, Barry from Watford. No, it was Peter and Walmart. It is a little patronising, isn't it? So every two years... We should go and have our eyes tested. I like Break. Break do a lot of good stuff. I just think on this one, I think on this one they've got it wrong. Helen says on the text, I used to work in an optician's. I lost count of the number of men, mainly, who, like you, didn't get their eyes tested for years and were unfit to drive. Three would have qualified as blind. One man whose wife had urged him to have an eyesight test took the car keys from him after a somewhat heated discussion. Eyesight diminishes gradually over time, especially for those over 40. Uh, actually, I had my eyes tested about six months ago. I went for a nice little check-up, little brain scan, little eye test, all of that kind of stuff. My eyes... The, the woman said there is absolutely nothing wrong with your eyes. And there was nothing wrong with my eyes four years ago. And my eyes are so good, I would know when my eyesight started to deteriorate. I would recognise that, and I would act on it. 08459 uh, This is Ian Liam, BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up... In the last 15 minutes uh, of the show, uh, an incredible story about a young lad born without any ears. I know, I know. It's absolutely amazing. We'll uh, find out what that is after the latest travel. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Still looking quite slow round Great Milton. There's a closure at the A329 after an accident earlier. They're doing recovery work. There was an oil spill left behind as well between Tame Road in Great Milton and Chilton View in Little Milton, just across into Oxfordshire, off the M40. So traffic is being sent pretty much around that without too much trouble. Holton Village through Western Turville. Now that's been closed. An accident with a motorbike involved between Brookend in Western Turville and Chestnut Avenue in Holton, with the road through there expected to be closed for the rest of this morning. The A1 slow to the Black Cat roundabout southbound, busy on the A1M past Junction 7 at Stevenage and then into London, delays on the A41 certainly there's a lane closed westbound reverse water main, emergency repairs at Edgewarebury Lane M25 clockwise slow into the roadworks past the A1M, a little bit busy anti-clockwise at the start of the roadworks as well Junction 25 and anti-clockwise also queuing from Chorleywood to the M40 for the minute public transport's not looking too bad, trains are running well And the tubes looking pretty decent as well. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. Coming up to 8.46 on Tuesday the 6th of August, I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. Owners who allow their dogs to attack members of the public could face life in prison under a clampdown proposed by the government. The results of a review of NHS patient safety are set to be published later by President Obama's former health advisor, Professor Don Berwick. In sport, England cricket captain Alistair Cook has urged his side to go on and win the series against Australia. Coming up, we'll hear um, an amazing story about a young man, well, a boy, who was born without ears and uh, how he overcame that. But first of all, let's get the weather with Elizabeth Rizzini. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, very good morning to you today. A much better day of weather than we saw yesterday. It is looking dry. There will be some cloud bubbling up here and there through the afternoon, but the morning is looking pretty sunny, actually. We've got some cloud just edging into parts of Buckinghamshire at the moment, but some decent spells of sunshine even here throughout the rest of the day. And where we do get the best of the sunshine this afternoon, despite the cloud, then we're looking at temperatures up to 22 or 23 degrees Celsius. Certainly nice and pleasant in the sunshine because we've only got light winds today. So as we head through into tonight, it should stay dry. Temperatures drop into 12 or 13 degrees. As we get into tomorrow morning, then there will be much more in the way of cloud. All in all, it's a cloudier looking day tomorrow with a few scattered light showers, I think, through the afternoon. Temperatures again just hovering in the low 20s. And that's generally where they'll tend to stay for the rest of the week. It will turn a touch breezier. Lots of dry weather, though. The odd shower at times. That's the forecast. If you've got a problem with a company, a council or an organisation, there's one man you should come and speak to. You've got a problem with a mattress, I gather. Tell me all about it without naming any company name. Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Well, every time she tried to book, the trip was cancelled because of adverse weather. The JVS show fights for your rights and tackles your consumer problems. Send the receipt off and you'll get the cheque in the post. If you need our help... I went to speak to the man that runs this golf club. Email jvsshow at bd. .co.uk. I'm just very pleased that you've got the money. And we could do the same for you. Thanks ever so much, Jonathan. The JVS Show on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now here's a story. A little boy from Hertfordshire who's born without any ears is having a pair of them created from, from anybody, his own ribs. Surgeons from Great Ormond Street will carve cartilage from six of Kieran Sorkin's ribs into the shape of ears, which will be attached during an operation next year. Well, we can speak to Kieran's mum, Louise, now. 
Good morning, Louise. Good morning. So how old is Kieran? Um, he's eight years old. He's eight years he's old? He just had his eighth birthday. Yeah. Okay, well, congratulations to him for that. And he was born without ears. Yes. Do we know why? Is there a reason for it, or is it just one of those things? It's just one of those things. Um, there's, there's no genetics. Well, there's no genetics. We can't see why it's happened. It's just, it's just a fluke that it, it's just happened. Um, that's why it's so rare. Um, I mean, there, there is, there is. I believe that maybe some families that may have some sort of genetic mm. with their ears. But we went through the whole uh, family history on his father's side and my side, and we're absolutely fine. So you can understand how much research we had to do. Yeah. Uh, once he was born. Well, these, these things sometimes happen, don't they? D- of course. D- they defects, sometimes, uh, defects appear spontaneously sometimes. I'm going to ask a question that may be really stupid. I don't know. If he hasn't got any ears, can he hear? Um, not very well. Right. <laughs> it's, uh, well, he's got bone as well. He's got no holes. So it's okay. just like having your fingers permanently in your ears. So it's all rather muffly. And so this operation, will this uh, uh, allow him to hear, or is this more of a cosmetic thing to, to, to give him, you know, ears? It's more of a cosmetic right. thing. Uh, so he, he, he can look human. Right. You know, um, you know people can stop staring at him, because you can see that he looks a little bit different. Yeah. Like he's just a normal, normal boy. And does... Uh, he, he gets stared at, does he? How, how is he treated at school by the other kids? Because kids, as we know, can be vicious little so-and-sos, they and they sniff um, out weaknesses and differences, don't they? Yeah, I mean, he's at primary age. I mean, he's been at the school since he was four, so the children have, like, grown up with him, so they've all accepted him. Mm. And, you know, I, I, you know, he has a, a teacher assistant that works with him, and I asked her the question, you know, does he ever get bullied? And she actually said, I mean, this is when he was in reception and year one, she said, actually, the children are very protected over him. Good, so I, good that's, that's really lovely. But, um, but as they grow older, you know, children are, you know, there's older children that ask questions. You know, he's just went to a summer scheme. And, I, you know, he said, I mm. found it very hard to make friends, mummy, because all they want to do is talk about my ears. Oh, and bless him. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> of course don't... he doesn't. No. He's going to turn up at school at the next term. It'll be like when a teacher turns up with a wig. You go, there's something different about <laughs> him. But I can't quite... This operation is obviously uh, pretty unusual. Do, do, do you know if it's been done before, how many times it's been done before? Um, well, when I got chatting with the ear reconstruction surgeon, he's probably done about a few thousand of these cases. Right, oh, OK. Um, I think the last ten years, he's only done eight uh, with two ears missing. So that just shows how rare it is, especially in this country. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And so when is the operation happening, Louise? Uh, August t- 2014. 2014. Yeah. OK. And do you have to do anything in the build-up to that? Is, is there any treatment he's undergoing? Or you, you're just waiting for that operation? I'm just waiting for the operation. It's, it's going to be exciting, but very emotional at the same time, because, you know, once the operation's finished, it's not going to be the boy I gave birth to. It's going to mm. be the boy he always wanted to be, so... Mm. <laughs> It's, it must be exciting, though, it because, because it, it, it's going to be... Uh, it's going to take some getting used to, seeing your son with ears. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's going to set him up so, to have such an easier ride in life, I would have thought. I think it will give him a lot more confidence that, you know, he and can just be like the rest of the children and, like, mum and dad and his sister. How does he feel about the operation? Have you told him what the operation is going to entail? Yes, yes. Um, we ha- he actually keeps nagging when he's going to have it done. So once Great Ormond Street gave us the date a few months ago... He is just so happy. Um, When we went to see the consultant, he actually went through all the gory details with him, 
lucky he's a boy. He, he loved he, it. He, he thinks it's great. Yeah, of course he did. Yeah. <laughs> they should, you should ask them to make him an extra ear. So, look, if you're in there getting <laughs> stuff, give me one I can carry around in, in, in my pocket. Is it going to be painful? I'm, I'm assuming if, if they're, they're, they're getting cartilage, it's, it's going to yeah. be uncomfortable, isn't it? It's going to be uncomfortable. He's going to be at Great Ormond Street uh, around about five to six days. Okay. Um, but kids are amazing. They just bounce yep. back than us, than we adults. And my, my little boy was in Great Ormond Street uh, a couple of months ago. It's an amazing place, Louise. They will make him feel like a king there. So they know how to treat the parents. Well, the, the, well they know how to treat the parents, the siblings, yeah. everybody. It, it really is just one of the best places uh, in the world. Uh, well, listen, Louise, thank you so much. Maybe we'll talk to you next year when when it's all been done and, and see how things see how things have gone on. Okay. It's 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 really good news and and, and best you. of luck to to you and to Kieran. Thank you very much. There we go. Thank you very much. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555. Let's spend the last five minutes before JVS uh, talking about um, bits and pieces, shall we? Dogs. Ken's in Luton. Morning, Ken. Morning, Ian. Morning, Ken. What, what, what's your opinion on dogs? Who sought this blooming law up? Oh. Hey, one of our politicians. What, what, what the, the thought that you might go, that dog owners might go to prison for life if their dogs attack somebody? So what we're saying is if you get bitten by a dog or attacked by a dog, yep. you're going to get life imprisonment. Yep. If you get beat up by two thugs, put in intensive care, they get eight months. Right. Get where I'm coming from? Yep. So... Well, you can't compare. You can't compare the two, though, Ken. Because yes, so so if you get, you know, the the, the prison sentencing is wrong for for sex offences and rapes and things like that, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't we should be campaigning to improve that as well as improving the sentencing for dog owners. I know, but th- these ideas they think up, you know, they must spend hours doing it, and they're they're stupid. Why don't they just muzzle dogs? The dogs bite you. So, yes. make all dogs out in public muzzled. Okay, Ken, that's, that's one idea. Thank you very much. I, I agree, they should be. They probably should be. 08459 455 555. We uh, spoke to uh, someone from uh, uh, Break earlier on, the uh, charity for road safety, or road safety campaigners, saying we should have our eyes tested every two years. I'm not convinced by that. Ray's in Luton. Morning, Ray. Good morning, good, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Every two years seems a bit patronising well, to me. Well, well, now what I want to say is this. Yes. Um, in America, when you have your driving test, you have your photo taken. Yep. Little scenario, you go to the driving centre, you have your test, and he says, can you read that with or without glasses? The bloke puts his glasses on, he reads the number plate, yeah, fine. He can take his glasses off when he passes his driving test and throw them away. You should have, you should have your photo taken when you have your driving test, which stipulates you wearing glasses or not wearing glasses. Some, pe- some people don't look good in glasses, though, Ray. Well, no, no, that's not the point. No, no? D- let me give you a little scenario. I had my eyes tested a month ago. I'm 80. I had my eyes tested a month ago. Last night, my glasses broke. So, I've got, luckily enough, I've got my old glasses, so I can use them. But if I hadn't, yes. my wife's got two appointments today at the hospital, so I would have drove without glasses. 
Well, you shouldn't have driven without glasses. No, That's irresponsible I, of you. This is what I'm saying. This is what people are doing. People are driving without glasses. Well, you should that go. To, you should be. go to prison if you were driving without glass, glasses, no, you're right? Not listening to me, in people are driving without glasses. Who should be wearing They glasses. should go to prison. They shouldn't be allowed to drive. Well, that's right. Yes. That's right. And you were going to do that? Oh, no, because I've oh. got my old glasses. Right, but if you hadn't have had your old glasses... Well, uh, yeah, I wouldn't have had Well, to. then you should lose well, your licence, should... right, and go to prison! Well, yeah, but I'd get... I wouldn't have gas bills to pay, would I? Well, there you go, you see. There's always a bright side there. It's uh, Dina's karma. You wouldn't have gas bills to pay, would you? There you go. Uh, listen, dear listener, uh, we, we do a weekly podcast, and I've just got the stats through, and boy, are they good. They are excellent. They could be better. And do you know how they could be better? By you going and downloading the uh, podcast. If you go to, you can get it from two ways. You can go to iTunes and type in Ian Lee, I-A-I-N-L-E-E. Uh, if you type in Ian Lee BBC, it, it, it pops up. Uh, and a, a way of helping us up the uh, iTunes chart, I know, isn't this cold and uh, shallow? If you leave nice reviews, to, if you leave some nice comments, we might read some of the comments out on air if they're clean. You can also go to the uh, uh, the BBC Three Counties page, uh, and if you follow the podcast link there, you can download it from there. And it's kind of like the best bits of uh, the week. D- d- lots of callers, lots of me arguing with Justin Daly, a little bit of bullying of Catherine Boyle, some a little bit of straight stuff in there. Although I think most of this week's is, is just me messing around. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, it's weekly. It comes out every Friday. They only stay online for 30 days. So if you're thinking, oh, I'll get them all at the end of the year, <laughs> good luck with that. You'll have to go to the dark web and find an illegal bootleg trader. So if you want to download the podcast, uh, type in Ian Lee on iTunes or go to uh, the Three Counties page and follow the link for podcast and you can download it there. It comes out every Friday. Right, that's it. Let's get the travel now. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. First Capital Connect, 15-minute delays, Moorgate through to Stevenage, Welling Garden City and Gordon Hill. They had a broken down train, no estimate for when things will be sorted through there. Virgin, 15-minute delays, Euston to Rugby, a signalling problem between Milton Keynes and Rugby. Victoria Line Tube, severe delays, trains are not currently stopping at King's Cross St Pancras after an incident through there earlier this morning. The A329 in Great Milton still shut after an accident between Tame Road and Chilton View. Holton Village in Western Turville, this is closed following an accident with a motorbike involved between Brookend in Western Turville and Chestnut Avenue in Holton. The A418 in Aylesbury looking slow at Elmhurst Road. Queues on the A355 in Beaconsfield from Longbottom Lane to the A40. Then A1 delays. First off, the Black Cat roundabout is slow, then southbound past Stevenage. Into London, the A41, a Burstwater Main westbound in Edgware at Edgware Bree Lane. The M25 slow anti-clockwise past the roadworks and from Chorleywood to the M40. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. That's it, that's your lot. If you want to send me an email, ian.lee at bbc .co.uk. JBS is coming up next from me until tomorrow. Ta-ta. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JBS Show. I'm Jonathan Vernon-Smith. It's Tuesday and on today's big phone-in. 